episode 95 of zapped to the past i am adrian mills and i'm joined as always by mr graham raddings if you haven't listened before this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the commodore 64 last week we looked at our first batch of games from issue 39 of zap 64 which we are in no way affiliated with and were terrorized by trigger happy wizened by wizard wars and ran off the road by road wars this week we conclude our look at the games in July 1988, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. The Graham, please tell us that there is something good to look forward to in this slot. In this delicious combination of cheese, baked beans and jacket potato of an episode, we flex our best brain muscles as we command lines to herd dots into colour blocks. In the better than my description, Brainstorm, we leave the circus and nip back to Cremina in our best strongman pants to breathe fire on the spectromatic port awfulness of Karnov. We explore a nightmarish alternative 8-bit universe where leaderboard golf wasn't invented with the utterly terrible pro golf and then continue our journey in the tight combat pants of Johnny McGibbets exactly one day after the last time in the Deja vu fueled Infiltrator 2 the next day. Are you a beans on first then cheese kind of person? Or are you insane? We also clip on our extendable robot grappling claw and explore the world of the swinger. Not that kind of swinging, though. We actually climb about the jungles, killing stuff in Bionic Commandos. We grab our imaginary laser weapons and run around with our taggers out. In the fun physical activity turned unwanted game, Laser Tag, we scoot around the good ship Orion, kicking some Z-Men posterior, all in the guise of roll-top kitchen recycle bins in Fifth Quadrant, before finally getting all out of sequence and wandering around yet another Magic Knight escapade before dying of boredom in Stormbringer. It doesn't matter to me which way round you have your jacket potato, beans and cheese. It's all good. Unlike some of these games, some of those are not so good. There's light at the end of the tunnel. That doesn't fill me with confidence. No, actually, no. I thought there was light at the end of the tunnel. It turns out it's just a knobhead with a torch. <laughs> and the tunnel's endless. <laughs> it's just a darkness forever, forevermore. Yeah. I don't know when this is going to end. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I thought it was supposed to get good. Everyone told us when we did this, wait till you get to 1988, it's all the good stuff. They lied. Yeah, they did, yeah. Massive they liars. Lied. They lied, yeah. <laughs> liars. Liar! <laughs> I was like, oh, just got to get through 1986, it'll be all good. Just got to get through 1987, it'll be all good. We'll be done by this podcast, and I'll be like, oh, it'll be all good. <laughs> Do you know, it's it's made me think there was probably better games en masse, uh, more of them, in 1984. So. Maybe. Because looking at the chart, every time we've looked at the chart, it's filled with games from 1984, 85, even at budget level. Yeah. These new ones are not cutting the mustard, are they? They're not doing it. No, they're not. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. In the publishing houses of the day, they are publishing... A lot of rubbish. I think we'll get some insight this week onto a little bit of it, actually, because there's a couple of the games we've got which have got little interesting side notes and things. 
Mm, well, I look forward to that. Intriguing. Intriguing indeed. I'm just going to put it here. If you wish to support us, let's just get it out of the way at the front. Um, you can do so. Um, we have a Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past. There are two tiers. There's one just a quid or whatever your, I don't know, whatever that is in your country. Um, I'll do the ones £4.50 and again, whatever that is where you are. Um, and that one gets you access to our Discord server. Um, it gets you ability to ask us questions for us to podcast. Gets ad you free. the um, ad-free episodes early as well those um, early early you know you get them early before the weekend you get early access you do when we oh, talk about access. podcast friend gary that's a terrifying proposition <laughs> at best but he likes that he likes it he likes to he likes early access himself he likes to be surprised <laughs> he doesn't like to know when when it's happening <laughs> explains a great deal actually but yeah yeah it is, it's definitely definitely worth a quid of anyone's money yeah so if you wish to do that then you can go over there patreon.com forward slash up to the past and that would be cool uh right that out of the way should we get into some games let's get into some games i think we eight. probably ought to do that really eight to games to, to get really. through all right let's get into our first one then And our first one is a budget title, 94%, Graham. 94. That's pretty shiny. That's pretty shiny. So shiny, it got a silver medal. Wow, okay. A silver medal, it got 94%. This is Brainstorm. Um, not to be confused with the film of the same name, which I think was pretty rubbish, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Like Dennis nothing, Quaid. Yeah. Is that the one where they record their dreams it and machine? Could be that one, yes. And that was, am I thinking of Dreamscape? Oh, I don't I think I might have Dreamscape. I don't know. There's a film with Brett called Brainstorm, I'm sure there is. Anyway, this is a budget puzzle title from Firebird. And yeah, and it got 94%. Firebird, 94%. What is the world coming to? Anyway, this is for Silver Medal, as I said. And when you first play it, you may think, what on earth are they on about? No music, it's just lines, coloured blocks, a moving ball. How can this be worth 94%? Well, let's see if we can find out. This comes from the mind of Pete Cook, Graham. Pete Cook, remember him? Um, is he John Cook's brother? Uh... No, he's, he's Margie Cook's boy. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. He lives next <laughs> door to Cookie. Yeah, well, he lives next door to the baker, the baker and the candlestick maker. <laughs> oh, baking cakey. <laughs> baking candly, candle makery, <laughs> him, sticky. <laughs> <laughs> baking cakey and candles sounds like a gangster. That's the team of gangsters, isn't it? Ah, uh, why are you Get, <laughs> get bakey, get cakey. What about candles? <laughs> <laughs> well, he never goes out <laughs> oh very good I like that actually yeah, writes down go. characters for some kind of gangster story <laughs> thanks anyway no Pete Cook he's the man behind Tau Ceti ah, he designed the original Tau Ceti I was reading an interview with, uh, with him on Retro Gamer the other day and they did that um, he also did Room 10 yeah, uh, very good <laughs> yeah so it's a it's a big up and then a big down <laughs> it's quite it's quite the climb and he uh, the C64 conversion for this has been handled by David Kirby is also listed on Lemon 64 as the musician as well. He might be. He might be. No music. There is. It's just really quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so quiet, in fact, you might not have heard it. Yeah, that's the one. Maybe no dogs can hear it. Anyway, brainstorm. First boot up. This, this looks a bit like Kicks, QAX from the outside. Lines and balls looks a bit like it, but but it's not. It's not yeah. like Kicks at all, really. So when it boots up, the game's got plenty of options. Um, it allows you to define your own keys, select the starting, starting screen from five of the 26 available. The 26 levels are just letters of the alphabet, so A to Z, and you can start A, F, whatever it is. You can start five of them. And you can change the difficulty level from easy, medium, or hard. And I'll actually expand on how they change the game in a bit in a bit later. So after picking the level and the difficulty, um, you start the game. So the main game screen is... This is a very simple game, what it looks like. It's just made up of a, like a... a 
taking up most of the screen on the left is like a large square. It's got some colored blocks in it, ranging, uh, which are, you know, range from five, uh, five colors. So you've got red, magenta, blue, black, and green. And it's just those kind of shapes. Um, and at the bottom of the screen, you'll see three small lines. Well, you'll see three small lines in easy and hard mode. You'll only see two in medium mode. At the top is a single ball in easy mode and medium mode, <laughs> and two balls in hard mode. <laughs> <laughs> Matron. <laughs> 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 to the right of this is the UI, which tells you your current score, the score you got last time in the last level, the time remaining on this level, and the three li- and the three lines that you can choose from: one cyan, one yellow, and one white. And they correspond to the lines at the bottom of the screen in the main game window. It's hard to make them out a little bit, but you can see that one's white, one's yellow, and one's cyan, and those, those, those kind of. I'm not going to say what you control because you don't actually control them so much. If you press the fire button, these starts the ball or the balls at the top bouncing around inside the main game window. So they'll just head off and they'll start bouncing about. And the timer starts decreasing quite fast. Um, you control a pointer. So you don't control anything. All you control is like the pointer. So you don't control the lines or anything. You just control a pointer. Move this into the main window. And if you press fire, the, your selected colored line, so one of those lines, whatever you picked on the right, will will basically start drawing a line towards where you've clicked on the screen. So if you pick the one on the left, which is the, the white one or the side one, that will just, if you click somewhere, it'll just start drawing a line towards where you've clicked. Okay. If the ball hits your line, it will bounce off it. So what you've got to do is in this way, you've got to kind of control where the ball is using the three different lines. So you can kind of construct like triangles and blocks and sort of shape it and, you know, confine the ball to where you need it to be. And the reason you want to do this is because the different colored blocks affect the score and the ball. So the black and blue colors, if the ball is traveling over them, they do nothing. So they're kind of free space. They don't do anything. If the ball is traveling over red blocks, it makes your present score go up. If it goes over a magenta block, it makes your score go down. If it goes over a green block, it warps the ball to a random place on the map. So that's it. That's your rules. That's it, really. The the aim of the game, the objective of the game, is to try and trap the ball with your drawn lines, so the lines that you're drawing around, to make sure it's traveling mostly over red blocks, as this will increase your score. Okay, that's it. So you just got to trap this ball, but it's constantly moving um, and you're constantly trying to draw these lines. Uh, the objective of each level is to make sure that you get a higher score on this level than you did on the previous one. So in easy mode, your score starts on 100. If after that level, you, you manage to score 120, so you, you had the ball on on, the, on a red bit and it went up enough and it went up to 120, then the le- next level will start with your base score at 120. So you need to get higher than 120. So you've got to get the ball onto the red somehow and get it up and get it get your score going up. If it goes on the magenta, it'll go down. So if, it's, if you get it on the magenta, it's going to start counting down. If you end the level with a score less than the previous one, that's how you lose. That's what's game over. So that's essentially it, okay? You've got on medium mode. You've got less lines to control the control the ball, so you've only got two lines. So trapping it is harder. The, the lines are not. Uh, it's hard to describe what to do. You can actually just hold down the fire and move it around, and they'll just keep drawing towards you. So you can. They're not directly straight lines. They can angle, and they can. You know, you can draw a triangle out of just one of the lines, but they're a finite length, so that you can't just keep drawing. They will eventually start running out. They're not that long. They're not as long as the sort of width of the screen or the height of the screen. So they will start running out. That's why you need to use them quite, um, you know, quite sensibly and quite. You work quickly because the, that countdown's going. And obviously, on hard mode, there's more balls. There's two balls bouncing around, so there's more chance of it going over magenta. You know, and, and hard to control. So that's the that's the challenge. So you can set this level of challenge to what you want. But if you were like me, just doing easy mode will start to break your brain. It's very hard this game because it's it's you know it is. Um, it seems deceptively simple this, but. 
Like all good puzzlers, you'll soon find yourself swearing in frustration as the ball bounces just where you didn't want it to, or your line is just too short to block it in, or it'll just squeeze through the smallest of gaps. When you draw lines over other ones, when they sort of, you know, when they move over them and they've run out and they you know they sort of go delete themselves it'll cut bits out of other lines so they'll be cutting holes in the lines that you thought were solid and then the ball will bounce out of them the ball you know it just seems to happen a lot but it's your fault really because you drew the line it's up to you you know or you'll try and block it in and you'll block it on magenta and you'll just see your score going down you're then trying to desperately get the line away from it to un to un sort of trap it and it gets very frustrating very quickly and you'll be game over and it's like oh game games can be over very quickly in this when you just do you do the wrong thing you don't get much time in each level the countdown goes down fast so mistakes are hard to recover from um and like i said a decent run can be quickly wiped away by an ill-judged line draw um and this is a bit frustrating it is but it's you know but you'll probably just try again it's got a very it's very uh moorish this game it's one of those games where once you grasp it you've got it like kicks like good puzzle games and then you'll just be like you'll be battling against it trying to move get your lines in what's the best strategy where do i need to draw first of all and where do i need to bounce it in and keep it in and trap it and put it in that part of the screen because there's more red for it to bounce around there's some issues though i thought found sometimes the bounce of the ball was just a bit off sometimes it won't bounce exactly as i thought it would not all the time it's usually okay just a couple of a moment so that was a bit annoying and and from a control standpoint you know you're controlling a pointer with a digital input we've said this about other games and so you've got although there's some acceleration we're moving in a direction it's still not quite sensitive enough it's a joystick this is a game screaming out for a mouse and I think with a mouse, this would be so much better and so much nicer. I'd love this. You know, on the Amiga, I imagine this this was ever ported to the Amiga, this would be great because you got a mouse. But beyond that, the main issue I found was the selection of the lines because you have to constantly move across to the right, click on them, click on the one you want, then move back into the main window and start drawing again. Then when you've done that one, got the way you want, go back and think it all the time. The ball's constantly moving about and it quite, gets quite frustrating. I'd have killed for a quick line select. Just you just you know, just pressing one, two, and three to flick between them. I think that would have made this game a hell of a lot better because you're moving your joystick, you press the fire, only two, two, right? Shh, do that one, three, right? Do that one. I, I, I don't know. I don't think this would have impacted too much on it. The game's already hard enough without without fighting the slowness of the pointer. And I think that a, 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 a line select would have just added, just made it a little bit more amenable to the player. It would have afforded you a better. A better, you know, better control over what's going on. It's just a bit clunky having to go across to the right because it's, you know, because it's a digital input still, and sometimes you miss the line you want to click on, and you're wasting time and trying to get back into. Uh, but uh, maybe that was just me. I don't know. The graphics and sound are very simple in this. There's nothing but you know lines and blocks of color and the odd noise when the ball bounces or a note when you select a letter in the high score table. But really, it's not what's important here. This is all about a simple idea, and I think this is a pretty quite accomplished and devious action puzzler because it's obviously it's, it's not one where you can take a step back and think about it you've really got to be on your toes all the time you can see how it draws from quicks kicks but then does something different with it and the idea of competing against yourself each level um is quite clever until i actually thought about it and it, i don't think it actually makes any real difference does it <laughs> as it could have started at zero each level and you just had to make sure you were over it i mean i don't know yeah. maybe it's a gimmick i don't know but you know i suppose it's a, it's a high score table so you are chasing high scores so all right fair enough it entices you to go back but it could have just added up all your scores from the levels whatever i don't know where it really works whatever it is what it is the thing is i think it's very clever it's a very good game it's good to see what pete cook could do when he was trying to re, you know when he wasn't trying to reinvent pong in 3d with no gravity and just doing something really clever and simple and easy and just like oh 
this. Like I said, simple idea, done well. Abstract, frustrating, and addictive. It's no frills, but it doesn't need any frills because it's, it's about the purity of that central idea. Now, I like this. I just wish it had a quick select for the lines, but I go on with this. I can see why they gave it 90% because I imagine this would have been, uh, if they were all high score chasing in that office, I could imagine this being quite playing that one level and trying to beat each other's scores. Yeah, I can see that happening quite a lot. Yeah, 94%. I've got no arguments. As a budget title, two quid, you'd get a lot of enjoyment out of this, I think. A lot going on here. I liked it. What about you? Yeah, so, I mean, that's the key really, isn't it? For two pounds, you're getting quite a lot of uh, puzzle for your money, aren't you? It's hard. Um, and I quite like the idea of the logic. It gave me sort of a weird Tron vibe as well, Tron's light cycles kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, there's that too, yeah. So there's a bit of that in there. There's obviously kicks definitely in there, and it's just it's just a nice idea implemented well. I mean, yeah, aside from that one little annoyance, which is just you just need either just a, something to flip between the three options or a, like a space bar even, mm-hmm. or one, two, three, or something like that, but... Now, that's the bit of the curse of joysticks as well. Joysticks just aren't really great for moving cursors and mouse and pointers. Maybe a mouse, maybe it would have worked in this. And now it's, it sort of has that feel to it. Whereas, but that slight issue aside, it's a nice budget playable puzzler. It's nice, easy. It's nice. And it's nice to just load up a game and just be able to get into it. Mm-hmm. No six page novella to read and no, you know, all of that. It's just nice and straightforward. Um, so I, I enjoyed my time with it. You know, it's trap the dot, isn't it? You know, what's, well, so they say trap the dot in the red, I suppose, to get the best scores. And I quite like the idea. It was, and when you get to some of the later levels, they're, you know, it's not like these red squares are really easy to navigate the dot to. Some no. of them are tiny. Yeah. It's really quite hard. Um, now there's, I mean, yes, it's good for two pounds. Definitely worthy of its silver medal, and I think ninety four percent is a good score for it. I think that's all good. I think also to te- a testament to the simplicity and longevity of this. How many mobile games play on the logic like this of this kind of logic, where you've got, you know, you're moving, you know, there's totally there's so many of them. Even those ones where you're slicing up the backgrounds. I can't what they're even called now, but there's a couple of them that are like that. Um, there's loads of them on mobile. Um, it's uh-huh. it's. That that kind of idea. I mean, this almost almost lends itself to mobile, really. This yeah, just like, draw, drawing a line on the screen, something sort of to do. Yeah, yeah. It totally does. Yeah. It's you know, it's mobile games before they even knew what mobile games would be. And I think you know, you've got twenty six levels to go out. You're going to be at them for a while because it's bloody hard. Um, and then you've got the multiple, you know, the novice and the you know too advanced. I think it's pretty good. I think it was a nice, simple, compelling puzzle game. And for budget money, that's not bad at all, is it? That that's a good, challenging, and interesting thing for two pounds. Nice, mm-hmm. nice, yeah, good, really good. I I enjoyed my little time with it. One of the games you go back to. That's why it's. I think it's a, it's pre mobile mobile game in that for definite. Yeah, so, yeah, it is. Yeah. Excellent, good, excellent, good excellent value for money. It's even mobile pre. It's even pro, pre-mobile pricing as well. Well, that's actually expensive <laughs> nowadays for a mobile game, isn't it? But that is, yeah, uh, yep, yeah. All good, all good. Excellent, excellent. Brainstorm, yep. Yeah. Go play it. Go try it out. Yeah, good fun. Here we go. That's our first one. We like Brainstorm. Let's hope it continues that way. I say this every week and it never does, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, you, we do know. <laughs> oh, don't don't ruin the surprise. I'd like there to be a little there's, bit there's of no like, surprise uh, to be ruined. Suspe- <laughs> the suspense for our <laughs> listeners. It might be good what's coming up. The suspense is now just how much we're going to hate it. <laughs> True. All right, there you go. That's Brainstorm. <laughs> we like that. Let's see how much we hate the next one. Let's move on to that. Because, Graham, you're going to tell us all about Karnov. I am. I am. So Karnov was a, a classic, for at least timely 1988 13% um, in Zap. 10 quid. It's an arcade conversion from a Data East arcade, I think, from 1987. Yeah. Um, think an so. arcade I've never seen. 
in my life ever. No, no, at least not right. knowingly, not knowingly. Although the main sprite <laughs> with his bright red pants, um, <laughs> I had a feeling I'd seen I'd seen something of that. But anyway, I'd never seen. I had a quick look at the arcade for this, and it is really weird. But I'd never seen it before. So anyway, mm-hmm. it's based on it is an arcade conversion. Now, arcade conversions don't generally fare well, do they? Data East ones particularly have had a bit of a bad time, especially when Activision and Electric Dreams are involved. <laughs> just, just, just something hasn't gone to plan. <laughs> the developer here was Mr. Micro, otherwise known as Greg Duddle, Mr. Willow Patton himself. Um, John Boy, I'm guessing not from the, uh, from the farm, <laughs> of, of the old, uh, what do you call it? What's it called? What was it called, that program? Waltons. The Waltons, yeah. So John Boy from the Waltons. Gary Patchen, the Waltons. Gary Patchen is also on Code Duties. Rob Nicholson, also on Code Duties. It was produced by Software Studios. I don't try... I'm trying to make sense of all of that. I've got the... I've got the instructions here, and I'm going to just read you the, the sort of the, the tale of Karnov, because I think it's important, okay. um, because the game ain't going to take long. Um, so can Karnov save the world? This story, by the way, is the same for the arcade, principally, as it is for all the versions. The story of Karnov's legendary quest begins peacefully enough in the small village of Krimina. Krimina? <laughs> Krimina. Krimina. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, it's a pudding. I was thinking of Cremola, like an 80s... Yeah, it's like that. 80s pudding. That's the arch enemy. That's the arch enemy of the Kremenans. Anyway, um, it's located, in case you didn't know, and you can Google this if you want, it's roughly in the middle of that vast expanse of land known as the Russian Steppes, otherwise known as the Wonderland. Don't look it up on Google Maps. Nothing good can come of that. Uh, Jinborov Karnofsky... Wonderland, spelled W-U-N-D-E-R, Wonderland. Oh, Wonderland. Um, so Jinborov Karnofsky, known more simply as Karnov by his friends, that's you and me, that is, okay. had returned to the village after a lifetime of travelling the country as a circus strongman. Old Karnov was looking forward to a quiet life with the biggest excitement being an evening telling tales of his circus exploits down at the local tavern. Yes. Little yes. did he know, but his adventures were far from over. He was about to embark on a new journey that would test his enormous strength to the full. Mm. Burn, 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 burn. Only a few of the village's oldest inhabitants knew Cremina's secret, the oh. secret of Cremina. Um, <laughs> it's to put the rice before you put the custard in. No. Uh, the ramshackle collection of buildings was the hiding place of one of the world's most awesome treasures. The treasure of Babylon had been hidden away from the world in Cremina for centuries, protected by the forces of light. Legend had it, so the elders said, anyway that a great evil would visit the world if the treasure fell into the wrong hands. But they felt that the treasure was safe. After all, Cremina was the last place anyone would look for treasure. <laughs> Always the same. Always They were the right. Same. Cremina was the last place. Ryu, an awesome and evil wizard, looked for the treasure of Babylon. After thousands of years searching the world for this ancient artifact, his spies had at last reported its location. Surrounded by his demonic minions, the great wizard hit Cremina like a hurricane and made off with the treasure of Babylon but he wasn't finished. To punish the villages of Cremina, but it was a town. Anyway, to punish the villages of Cremina, <laughs> he left behind an assortment of monsters to terrorize those who had dared to hide the treasure from him. It took him thousands of years. I'm guessing the last generation of Creminans are really paying the price for those early good hiders. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Karnov knew that only he had the power to defeat Ryu and return the treasure to its hiding place. After all, not everyone in Cremina could breathe fire like he could. Well, I, it would be a novel thing if they all did it, wouldn't it? <laughs> That, that village would be on the map. <laughs> Come to Cremina, where we all breathe fire. Do you? You do. Cursing his strange talent and his look. Why would you curse your... You just do a living out of that. Crazy man. Cursing I his strange talent and his look. 
that just any breeze fire. Kanos set out to find a way if, through hang the on, monster infested countryside. Just pull back a moment here. Hang on, hang on. If I went to a circus, right, and they had a they had a guy who breathed fire, but were marketing him as a strong man. I mean, like you, you, you've got that the wrong way round. His his ability is, <laughs> we, we can have anyone can be a strong man. Well, he could be both a strong fire breather, but, but no one possible. There's only one fire breather, is what I mean. That's a that's a rarity. Well, yeah. Well, he cursed his strange talent, so obviously he doesn't <laughs> like it. Uh, um, anyway, so kind of sets out to find a way through the monster infested countryside, seeking the fragments of a long lost map to guide him on his way. Never make a map to your secret treasure. <laughs> Just saying. He knew he had to seek out and defeat Ryu and regain the treasure of Babylon. Otherwise, the world was doomed. The world was doomed. World. Okay, that's the story of Karnov. It's summarised better on the cassette, but I didn't think there was any point in reading that. No. And it's much more exciting to read that than it's to say, walk to the right and jump over stuff. So, yeah. uh, okay, bloody Karnov game. Right, um, so obviously the objective then of the game is, as I've said, find the bloody, find Ryu and get the treasure back and do all of that sort of stuff. This is a side-scrolling game. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's side-scrolling in every other version than the C64. I wouldn't call that scrolling, really. I think that's stretching the word scrolling to its very limit. <laughs> so the main game sees you in a side-scrolling-ish. Let's call it that. Shuffle. Shuffle vision. Shuffle, shuffle vision. Shuffle vision. <laughs> shuffle vision. <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, on a mission to navigate the weird levels and avoid stuff. And when I say stuff, there is a random collection of shit in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, they make a point of saying on the cassette inlay, by the way, right at the bottom, it says, have you ever been killed by a skeleton on an ostrich? Now, there's something you don't read every day on a cassette box. <laughs> and it turns out that a lot more people had than they first thought. Anyway, mm. let's go. Sorry, it's just an interesting <laughs> aside. Anyway, you move the can off Sprite, we'll call it that, with the joystick, with the rest of the screen gradually chugging and humping around like a C64 Lenny to your George. Um <laughs> that was a good description you can fireball things and seemingly fart out and collect other items other items are useful to you in this game other items such as boots which makes you jump higher and further which is painful in this game because when you jump the screen doesn't jump at the same speed as you no kind of (laughs) hoys around at one block at a time (laughs) one block second there's a ladder if you pick a ladder up, you can just fart out a ladder, it seems to be. Just farts and a ladder appears and you can so climb up it for no of, reason whatsoever. He's got loads more powers than just being a strong man. <laughs> yeah, a strong man. He, can, he literally can fart out ladders. Um, and he says, you know what? The, the, the benefit of having a ladder is it's so you can go higher, obviously, but that's all. <laughs> it's so you can avoid enemy attacks by getting higher. I'm like, what? There's a boomerang, which gives you extra power. There's something called a clapper. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not, it's, the, it's their version. It's Karnov's version of a smart bomb is a clapper. It's just we have oh, no. something similar to that in some crap game where you, 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 lo- you drop something and it was, cr- what was it? It was that Odin game where you were running around that map and then went into those buildings and he had that, sh- he, he clapped, didn't he? He had massive arms. Yes, yes. He had a clap. Yes, he did. He had big, huge clappy hands. Yeah. Um, you can get glasses in this that allow you to see extra things. You pick up a swimming mask at one point, which is of no use to you until you get to, to stage five, which is the swimming stage. If you don't have it by then, you're fucked. So, you know, you better have it. You can get wings, which is which means you can fall from a high place. But if you've got the ability to fart out ladders, you don't need them. But unfortunately, you actually need the wings for stage eight. Otherwise, you can't actually complete the game either. So if you haven't got them, again, refer to the uh, what happens if you've got the swimming mask at the right time. C.A. There's also shields you can get and also K marks, which... Um, which will give you an extra life if you collect 50 of them. You're never going to do that in a million years, ever. No, because there's only 49 ever, in the game. Ever, 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 ever. Yep. <laughs> there might not be. Anyway. I don't know. It's all crap. 
Um, you can also pick up super fireballs. Um, so, by the way, so in the game, uh, you've got three lives in the game. If you get hit, you don't die immediately, you go blue. And if you get hit again while you're blue, you lose a life. And when you do lose a life, you do a massive uh, barbarian fall. <laughs> that, oh, oh, he does, he does a full <laughs> epic. He's <laughs> <laughs> a big guy. It's gonna it's gonna block a lot of ground out. <laughs> He's a strong man who can fart ladders. <laughs> if you pick up a super fireball when you're blue, you get restored to your normal colour. Just so you know, just so you know, that's that, that's all as much as the information I'm giving you about the actual the way the game plays out, because that is all there is. So you can fireball things, fart out ladders, and odd looking things get in your way. They're meant to be skeletons and ostriches. I think that's what they were once. Not in this version, they're not though. Just a collection of crap. Um, you clash with the background images because because it uses what looks like characters and screen graphics instead of actual hardware sprites. Of course, it doesn't use hardware sprites on a machine that has them. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you use the scrolling register? You know, in the uh, Vic chip. Why wouldn't you use that? Who knows why they don't use the very things that are important to making these games work? Only no, nobody knows that. This is why he takes out the bottom of his car, the guy that made this game, pulls the engine out and just pedals it everywhere he goes because it's much better to do it that way. He wants to be in the anyway, Flintstones. <laughs> he is the, he's Mr. Flintstone. So you can fireball things and obviously do all of that. And there is this horrible sort of clashing that goes on. The enemies are unavoidable because as you slowly clump around, jumping if you can and avoiding things, it's all slow. This is a slow, ploddy game, very slow. And the background doesn't keep up with you. So if you jump, for example, at an angle, the background doesn't scroll at an angle. It goes up and then to the right. Like it, like it's really, it's horrible. It's yep. just wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It should not do that. So as you're sort of clumping and flumping around in this game, periodically climbing up something and jumping about, well, it's not nice. I could, I actually couldn't stand it for very long because it is terrible. Doesn't you can't play? It's not playable game. This in any in any way, it's not playable. The sound effects are horrible, and they're basically a spectrum, and that's the same sounds you get on a spectrum. And there's an obvious reason for that because this is a really bad spectrum port. If you go and look at the Sinclair Spectrum 48K version, it actually runs okay on that because it's designed for that. But this is a horrific port where there's been no passion or attempt to even address any of the issues and make it right for the C64. The C64 is more than capable of delivering on a game like this. I mean, you're not really that far off Ghosts and Goblins or any one of those types of games. I mean, we play um, Bionic Commandos later in this, and that's not really that far off that either. Any game where you've got a single sprite jumping up and down platforms and leaping about and things. Well, we've seen loads of games that do that, and they're all better than this, even the really Mm -hmm. bad ones. So this is obviously a version of the arcade, but the C64 version is, is a rush port. An unforgivable one at that. All of the horror of a bad Spectrum port that we've seen in other games in other times is all here. Detailed, but horrible graphics in weird coloured high res that admittedly look a bit like what they're meant to, but they don't really. Clashing and bad collision. Terrible, terrible scrolling. Horrible audio. What you're left with is something that is not only truly awful, but a bad imitation of something that's really awful. I mean, that, that takes some doing. You made something cr- even crapper than it was originally. <laughs> That's not count. Uh, uh, it's imitation. <laughs> it's, it is. It's this is you no. Know, this is a, a crappy version. It is the thing. Dog. This is. It's half imitated and it's just been shot with a shotgun. It should have been. So you get all of those horrific things that are wrong with it. I mean, the, the list is endless. This is badly put together. It, the, the title screen's spec. It's just a Spectrum game in in, in Commodore, on a Commodore sixty four, and it has all the problems that you would associate with that. So there's no love present in this. This wasn't. This wasn't a work of anyone's passion or anything else like that. This was shoehorned onto a Commodore sixty four with no due care and certainly no passion for making a good C64 game at all. So the end result is an unplayable, nasty piece of shit that does no justice to anyone or anything, and you are ripping people off yet again. Spectrum version, from what I looked at, seemed actually okay in comparison, but it runs okay on a Spectrum. There's no surprise there. And according to the Wonderful Games That Weren't website, there were actually screenshots of an earlier 
C64 version that actually did look like a version that was made of the C64. And and those were the screens that were in the early previews in Zap as well. And so it was obviously, there was a plan afoot at some point to create a better version of Karnoff for the C64. For whatever reason, um, in the sort of blurb that's in the games that weren't, there is an interview with the, the people that made the game. And they basically put this down to time pressures from Activision saying that you know, they they just said, no, scrap the version you're working on. We need it out quicker than that. You know, just do just get the Spectrum and do that. And they did. And I think that on the one hand, I feel kind of sorry for them that they were put under that kind of pressure. But on the other hand, you can just say no, however desperate you might be for the work. You know, your reputation's on the line. You're, you're releasing this into the world. You know, you can't give birth to this and then just abandon it and go, oh, I'm sorry, but we were made to make that. I'm, I'm, I don't, that isn't washing for me anymore. Apparently, the, they got as far as the level one graphics for the C64, and then they, of course, they showed those in those screens to whet everyone's appetite before they then unleashed this massive shit on everybody. <laughs> so this is a direct, rushed, bad port of a Spectrum game, that, of a game that wasn't really that great in an arcade anyway. I partly feel sorry for the team that worked on it in a way, because obviously I'm not, I'm not privy to what kind of pressures the work you're under at that time. If you've got mortgage and bills to pay, and this is your bread and butter, you know, maybe it's just, you know, you think, well, I don't want to do this, but you know, if I don't do, if I don't make this game, if I don't get paid, I can't, you know, I can't pay my mortgage. I can't pay my bills. And that ain't a nice position to be in. I guess there's a lot of that, but this is just awful. It, even this game doesn't want to be, it doesn't it just want, it doesn't want to happen. It don't want to be around. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, just, just horrible. The end result for this, it's just, it's, it's a really bad thing. This, I don't know how it got 13% really, maybe because the graphics, I suppose, are spectrumish, but they look kind of a bit like they're supposed to, I guess. But, this was just tragic. What a crap thing this is. And I, I, I have no time. I had no time for it. I mean, no, just no. Don't do this. 1988, come on. Don't make games like this. What do you think? Hello, and welcome to this special episode of Zapped to the Past. Normally, we look at games that were released for the Commodore 64, but in this special episode, we'll be looking at the Spectrum port of Data East Karnov. Not something we usually do, but hey, thought we'd do something different to the usual content we produce. So this is all the things you expect from a Spectrum game. Single colour sprites, slow controls, terrible sound, colour clash, juddery scrolling, and nausea-inducing colours. Clearly a terrible conversion, so I can only hope that the C64 version is better when we eventually get it. You up? This is the C64 version. Okay. <laughs> burn it. <laughs> Just burn it. Burn it. <laughs> Destroy all knowledge of it and wipe it from existence. Who knew? The only good thing about this, who knew that in 1988 someone could write such a good Spectrum emulator on the C64? Who knew? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's one way of looking at it. <laughs> but uh, quite incredible, really. As for the game, where's the sound of the baby crying when you need it? Because that's the only oh, thing I, I can think of. I think it just this just needs to end with the baby crying cause, and the tumbleweeds and the woman crying and, and someone vomiting. This is awful. Yeah. I mean, this is genuinely awful. When I loaded this up and that Spectrum title screen, I went, okay. And then when the game started, I was like, it's a Spectrum game. And then obviously you yep. link, linked us to that um, games that weren't in you. And they were like, oh, well, we just, we had to, we had to just port the Spectrum version. It's like, no, you didn't. No, <laughs> you didn't. Nobody, whoever's involved in this, whoever made the decisions on whatever it was, like no one was clamoring for Karnov, the arcade game. No, no, was, no, no one was banging true. on Boots' door going, where's Karnov? I've got to have Karnov. Nobody, no, nobody well, would the, do people it. Of, the people of Cremina needed him. <laughs> Cremina might have needed it, but nobody else did. And it's not like, it, it's not like, you know, arcade games don't get released really at the same time. I mean, that our, the port of Grizor that we looked at last time was well late in comparison to other versions. Yeah, true. There's no reason for them going, oh, we just want it out. Who cares a shit about Karnov that it's so rushed when you've already got that C64 version in production? Just go, yeah, okay, we'll take a bit more time, get that out. It doesn't matter. No one, no one cares. No one's knocking the doors of, you know, like I said, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Oh, I know, we've got to get it out. Why? <laughs> yeah, it does wonder. Who is wonder. demanding this? 
that forces you out. It's not like today where, you know, all versions of the game have to come out, PC, Xbox One, Series X, PlayStation 5, all at the same time, and if there's not, there's hell to pay on the internet because the games, you know, it's not like that. No one gave a shit back then. It's just like, oh, yeah, you got Cardo. We'd have looked at the Spectrum version anyway and gone, <laughs> what's that rubbish? Um, and maybe that was why sort of thing, because they thought, well, maybe if we, we don't, we put it out, put the Spectrum version out on its own, people will realise that it's rubbish and won't buy the C64 version. But then they could have saved themselves some money and not released it anyway. It's just, it's, it's, I mean, it's sort of, even Shailen's Road wasn't as bad as this, was it? And that was Shailen's pretty bad. Shailen's Road wasn't as bad as this. Legend of Cage wasn't as bad as this. Numerous crappy things. It's even that really crappy Kung Fu one where you can just hold down left and whatever and beat him up. I'd prefer that to this. Oh, uh, that was bad as well. Yeah, true, true. This was one of the worst things I've seen. God, that that category is going to be tough this year. It is packed, isn't it? It's packed, honestly. It's packed. Like the, the, the track, they're fighting to get in. It's like we've opened some nightclub and everyone's trying to get there. <laughs> but nobody knows the way in. Everyone's going through the wrong entrance. They're all, none of them can order a drink because they're all so shit. Exactly. They want to get on the guest list. It's like, don't worry, you're, you, 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 you're pre-entry for you. Don't worry about that. You, you're coming in. Yeah, VCPs, very crap programs. Uh, there we go. Anyway, there we go. That's Karnov. It's awful. We got warned about this by one of our. Oh, is it Doctor Goggles? Is it Doctor Goggles or Buzz it? I can't remember. We'd have to look. But yeah, they they were kind enough to warn us. Unfortunately, we didn't heed the warning, and I don't think we were warned enough. I didn't realize it was as bad as this because <laughs> no, because because this is in the. I thought this was. I think they likened it to Cobra. I think they said, "Oh, this is Karnov's worse than Cobra." And I was thinking, is is that possible? And it is. It actually is possible, and it, <laughs> it really is possible. Is. Who knew? Who knew you could sub Cobra? Okay. Anyway, there we go. That's Karnov. Let's move on. Nobody's spoken about Karnov more than we have just said ever. <sighs> Let's go to the next one. <laughs> the next one. This is pro golf. There's nothing pro about this. <laughs> it's nothing. <prof>. Everything, <laughs> everything about this is amateur. Everything. This is no golf. I'm just getting out there now. <laughs> I'm doing it right at the start. No, just no, so, no so golf. <laughs> God's sake. Uh, this is from Atlantis Software. It's got 24%. It's $2.99. There's no credits for this that I could find. I could only find someone called John Watson who did the Spectrum version. I don't know if he did this version. Someone did, and they should think about what they did and feel bad. So this is budget golf on such a level that it could barely be called golf. Yes, it has the trappings of golf, but if I covered my living room in grass and swung at a pork pie with a table leg, would you call that golf? No. And this is just like that? Yeah, I would. <laughs> no, I wouldn't really. Adrian's playing golf again. <laughs> so, yeah, my partner's like, what's he doing? I oh, does that every now and again. Got the strongest design now to, to hit a pork pie with a golf club. He gets I want to see what happens out, now. Breaks a table. Just whacks it about with some fake grass in his living room. No, well, it's got to be done. Anyway, no, it's not golf. It's just like that. It's a hobby. <laughs> it's a hobby. Yeah. I mean, they even put 1988 on the bare title screen. You don't want to be telling people this is new. Put 1983 on it. Just lie. They might be a bit more sympathetic. Yes. Not much. They've still wasted three quid on this, but there might be a bit. Lemon 64 doesn't, even the new Lemon 64 doesn't even have this listed. There was no sign of it on there that I could find. I, you know, I looked for everything, but I couldn't find it on there. It's on Moby Games, but not there. It's like it just slid off the web and died in a corner which is what it should do. Anyway, Pro Golf. Here you can enjoy the splendour of Pebble Beach or Sunningdale, each in a separate load. You can have a championship, practice, or just a single round. You can choose medal tees or championship tees. I think that means it's just they place the tees in different places, isn't it, where you tee off from? Yes, I would imagine that's probably it. Yeah, you can have up to one to four players. You can name them. You can choose random or wet. You can choose random. You can choose random ground or wet, normal, or dry ground. You can choose it yourself or choose a random one. You can have variable wind. 
<laughs> or set it and then you can enjoy the game whatever the game screen itself so that's it it's your options i'm not going to spend too much time on this the game screen is split into a series of windows the largest of these is a satellite view of the whole so yeah you can see it all from about three miles up so whoever thought that was a good idea it's like here's the entire hole okay um your ball is flashing somewhere on the, on this map of the course and the green is represented by a big black circle somewhere the info for the hole so yards and power and everything is in the top right and at the bottom of the controls, everything in this is controlled with OP, return and space. No joystick controls, no nothing, it's just OP, return and space. So you pick your club with O and P um, and press return to select it. Then you set the direction of the shot in the most boring way possible by moving uh, by moving and sort of aiming a diagonal line. So essentially what you've got is a square and you just move a line around it, the 360 degrees, like it's on a circle. And that's your, uh, that, that's where you're aiming. You know, if you want to aim, so God help you if you want to aim 180 degrees because you've got hold down P or O and let it get there every bloody time. It takes forever. It's awful. Press return when you have it facing the way you want. Uh, then select the power with OLP. So again, you increase or decrease. Once done, press return. And then it asks, are you sure? You're like, yes. You can then swing it with a tap of the space bar, and then you've got to tap it again at some arbitrary point when it's this, this little graphic of a sort of graphic guy sort of swinging his club and swinging it down. You've got to press it again, otherwise you'll hook, slice, pull, or push it, or whatever. I could never get it spot on. I don't know where you're supposed to press it. There's no graphic indicator. So and no matter when I press space, it never seems to do it right. And then that's it, because you'll never hit it straight, ever. And then you can watch the ball fly off in some random direction. Who knows? It'll move somewhere. You'll land in the rough and get to the whole monotonous club direction and power selection all over it again and again and again. I never even made it to the green. <laughs> I did, so I don't know. I think, so I don't know. This is dreadful, dreadful on all counts. It looks terrible with awful character graphic representation of the various elements of the course, trees, you know, rough bunkers, etc. The animated character that swings the club is ugly. The sounds are awful. And the controls that make you repeat everything time and time again are clunky and unintuitive. I hated this so much I didn't even finish one hole. This got twenty. How this got twenty four percent is beyond me. It's an awful clag of crap and another contender in our ever increasingly crowded shit game of the year award. No golf. No. 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 This was awful. There was that one we looked at ages ago with you know its own its own brand of physics. Should we say that hole in one? That's you know that's yeah, yeah. that's leaderboard to this. Yeah. Um, True. I don't understand why anybody would think this was a good idea to release this in 1988. Even and for three quid, it's not even budget budget. It's you know it's premium budget. Utter crap. No, I'm saying nothing more about it. What did you think? No, that was my first comment. No, I suppose. I mean, my first question was, was this basic? And then it changed to, was this basic? And then it changed to, this was basic. And then I went to, this was basic. <laughs> it's very um, basic, I'll give you that. I f- it felt like I'd step back in time. I mean, th- I think this was created in a world where leaderboard hadn't been invented. And then it slipped through some kind of wormhole. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, you could play golf on a weird keyboardy BBC micro at school in 1983 kind of way. On the other hand, this is the worst golf game I've ever seen in my life. Yep. I mean, someone made this. Someone made it. It's someone's passion. I don't want to bemoan their efforts. That's probably a great achievement for them in the world where leaderboard doesn't exist. I'm guessing golf doesn't exist there either, looking at the... <laughs> this is like this has been made by someone that had golf described to them. And so, they, you know, so that's what they've done. It's made like a methodical step-by-step process. This is bullet point golf. Um, so, you know, they did what they did. They they made this, you know, that maybe that was a real personal achievement for them. It's not very good, unfortunately. It's awful. And and the reality is should, you know, in, even that effort that someone's made, someone sat there and went, I'm going to make this. And then you know, they released it. But they shouldn't have released it, should they? No. Just because you make a thing 
doesn't mean others should you know pay money for that thing. Yeah, no, no. It just give it to yourself. Before. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, making a golf game for yourself and that sense of achievement that comes with it, you've made it. Don't really sat to other people to judge you by it because it's awful. No, it just makes me think you're a stupid idiot. Um, and I didn't want to think like that. You know, I didn't want that thought in my head. You put it there. You made this game. You made me think that by having to endure that nonsense. What awfulness! What awfulness! Procedural golf. Nobody ever wanted that. No, I mean golf's a. Pre- I mean, I don't play golf in any way, shape, or form. And for those that like it, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say, but I imagine it's a pretty funless thing. You hit a ball with a stick and, you know, you've got to get it in a hole, which is, what, yards away. Okay, fine. Maybe some people like that and that's okay. Fully boots with it. But that's what, that isn't this. This is some kind of, you know, selectatron. It's weird. There's nothing in this for me. This was weird. I didn't like it. It Maybe it should have a place in 1983. Does not have a place in 1988. This was bloody, more like bloody golf Harris. To me, not, it's not something I ever want to go back to or talk about. So, no. No, <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> no, I don't know why we got 24%. It's a bleeding miracle how it got that. It's a, just stupid. It should have got zero or yeah. maybe two or four, ironically. We could have given it an ironic score, couldn't we? Four. Four. But not not yeah. 24. No, yeah, two and anyway, four. Yeah. This is not pro golf. It is not good. So, no golf. No. No golf. No golf. There we go. That's the, That's it. Two crackers there. We've got, still got one more to get through. I don't know if it's a cracker. It could we be. Do. It's got high percent. Uh, let's move on. Let's get out of that. Let's get out of that very rough patch and move into our next one. Uh, Graham, just to wrap up this part, tell us all about Infiltrator Two. Uh, the next day, Infiltrator oh, the Two. Next the day, next yeah. day from uh, US Gold, created by Chris Gray, music by Paul Butler. Um, there's a long diatribe of, of dialogue. Of, you know, there's an extended storyline to this. It's a direct sequel to obviously Infiltrator. So here we go again. Um, and I'm not going to. There's there is a really long story that you can read for this. It's you know, it, it's and it's written in proper story time. You know, it rained all day and into the night. So far, nailing that jogger was a right. And, and I'll put I'll put the link in the show notes. Go and read through the story. But it's essentially the same. It gets takes a while to get there, and takes a while to get to who's doing what and where it. But the variation of the story and the theme of it all—it's all very interesting. It gets you to the exact same point at the end, um, mm-hmm. which is where I'm going to start off. So I'm just going to assume. Let's take the story as read. Blah 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 blah. Um, so here we go again. St- you're stepping into the multi-talented shoes of Johnny McGibbets and taking on the Mad Leader, this time in three daring infiltration missions. Ooh. Well, exactly like it was last time. Was it three or was it five in the last one? Anyway. I honestly can't remember. Following a similar play style to the original, each mission has a chopper section and a ground infiltration section. Nice detail here is that if you start the mission, you can start the missions from either part. So you can start, if you want to just start at the base where you infiltrate, you don't have to do the chopper part, which is actually quite good because... I don't know about you. I found that bit really boring. What, the but chopper bit? come back to that. Yeah. It's, it's the just same as the last game. Yeah. Well, it, ironically, I'll come back to that. <laughs> the game starts in the typical fashion, with a, a typical fashion for this Infiltrator series of games, with a kind of odd, quirky sense of humour to it. Mm-hmm. So there, it has, does have a tone of humour, which you can sort of get, but it, it's sort of, I don't know. It's I don't know if you drive it as comic book humour. I don't quite know where the tonality of it lies, but you'll get the theme of that when you read through and the... The game's a multi-load sort of game where it loads up different screens and different parts. And there's, there's um, sort of, I, I wouldn't call them cutscenes as such, but there are just images with dialogue and things like that. So it's got kind of a story 
that presents itself. And that's quite interesting that it does it that kind of way. But it's exactly the way the Infiltrator did it. It's not yes. doing anything different there. So this time, obviously, you've got to pilot the Gizmo DHX-2 attack helicopter to the designated coordinates. A combination of keyboard commands to lift off and, f- and to fly, and a joystick to fly, with a few more keyboard commands to use your computer terminal as you're flying, which I think is T, as I recall. To start, you had, you had to B, and then I think it was S. And then and the instructions, or the guide I had, it said to press 1, but it wasn't 1. It was a lie. I just went and pressed every key on the keyboard, and eventually I just my engine started, and I was able to lift off, so quite handy. So, and then when you go, when you actually, you got to get to a certain height before you can start to sort of move, I think it's 600, 600 meters. Once you've reached the altitude, you can then control the helicopter and actually fly it, and then you press T to go to your, your computer terminal, get your coordinates for where you need to be aiming, and then you can fly. Fly, my pretties, fly to your <laughs> coordinates. Just fly. On the routes, um, you'll get challenged. <laughs> Just fly. You'll get challenged <laughs> by enemy fighters and helicopters, and they will ask you for the special code. Who are you? What do you want? And you can use the term overlord if you if they are enemies, and that will trick them. Trick them, it does. Or you can say infiltrator if they're allies. But, you know, you've got to take the chance. What are they? Do you know? Um, mm. And depending on what you answer, you can mean combat or not. But basically play the same way as the previous infiltrator game, pretty much exactly. Yeah. So if you like the combat flight sim part of that, it's not too bad, I suppose. Reasonably good movement. I mean, it's. I think it's still a bit of a jerky thing, but it's slightly faster than your average jerky game of that type. It's, it's, it, if you like it, you'll like that bit. If you liked it the first time, you're going to like that bit. Mm-hmm. So once you get to your target base, assuming that you'll land, and then it's to the next mission phase, exactly like it was in the first Infiltrator game. The view shifts here to a more isometric high view, which is exactly the same view that was in the first game. Your objective here is to infiltrate the Mad Leader's base, exactly as it was in the first game, and you are dressed as one of his men, which is also exactly what you were in the first game. (laughs) I'm sensing no deviation from the plan. I would have thought the Mad Leader would have figured that out. He wouldn't try to infiltrate our base dressed as one of my soldiers a second time, would he? Well, he does. Pull me once. Uh, Once there, you must find an item... That's in a key to the Mad Leader's plans. The items change for each of the missions. Um, so there's three missions, so there's three different things you have to find. Mm-hmm. The route is tricky. Minefields, guards, and other buildings are all over, so you need to sneak about carefully, get too close to a guard, and your disguise could be blown. Um, and that spells trouble for you, so you will get asked for your papers um, if you get caught. If It's not going to end well if you do get caught, so you've just got to keep your distance from them. Be careful. You carry a small amount of knockout gas grenades, which you can use on them if you want to um, but remember it only knocks them out so they do wake up and um, there's also a handy landmine detector so yeah, you get the idea you've got to sort of sneak around try not to be seen you know do, do not be seen in this you get inside a mm-hmm. building you can then sneak around and look for the item you actually get a different view when you go inside a building it's kind of obviously an overhead view so it's all playable there's lots of things to search and it's quite tricky to avoid the guards in there I found really hard it's like they've got sixth sense for and I'm never very good at these stealth games anyway so it's like this is like the worst my one of my worst traits. I'm terrible at them. I always get caught. You know, I remember playing that ninja game with you, and it was like the worst ninja in the world. You know, I just leapt through that? a window and just like landed them. Is it Tenshu Z? Oh yeah, maybe. <laughs> I was playing. I think it was like a stealth ninja game. You were like, you show me how to do it. You like stealthily ninjaing in through the windows. I just leapt in through the window in the middle of it and was like, ha ha! Like, no, that's not that's not the way ninjas work. Um, so it wasn't very good. Anyway, so that's my what was my approach in this? I was forever getting the guards challenging me. You can find extra grenades in there. There's even booze in there, which you can use and you have to, for some reason. And you get security passes, which you use to access the secret labs, which is where you're going to find the interesting items of the Mad Leader. It's all very exciting. There's a simple inventory view on the screen for you and a map that gradually gets more complete in that section the more you explore. Um, a successful infiltration means you run back to your waiting gizmo copter and fly mm-hmm. back to base, and then it's onward to the next mission, and so it goes on. I liked the infiltration part more than the flight sim part. For me personally, but I liked, I wasn't wholly struck on any of these games, but that part I enjoyed a bit more than the other bit. 
And there's a bunch of nice graphic details, I thought, but they're exactly as they were in the first game. They vary in quality as well in the same way the first game did. It's the same as the first game, same problems and everything. Mm -hmm. We said that in the review of the first game that they seem to get, the graphics seem to get less defined and scrappy as it went on, which is exactly true here as well. Same thing happens again. Only So only the starting point for the games is actually pretty naff to begin with here. So it's, it's the same problem, but you don't have the added expectation of it being the first game that's done it because it's the second one so you'd think that they would have would have maybe made good on some of those things but no so i'm not 100 sure what this is adding to the whole infiltrator sort of license i mean it literally could have been made the next day because it's the same game it felt exactly the same as the first one i didn't in fact i think if you sat them side by side and said to somebody which one's infiltrate which one's infiltrate the next day i don't think you'd genuinely at times you'd know there's no prevailing thing apart from the opening credits that tells you it's a different game they're playing exactly the same way yep so it felt the same. There's so little differences. I think you could easily be playing the first game. The Zap reviewers all said the same. They all said exactly that, that it just feels like it's the first one again. I mean, sometimes it gets a bit funny. And I suppose for those that like the first game, there's probably just more of the same, which maybe is, is what you like, you know, and I get that. You know, if you like the first game and you want three more levels, well, there they are. No, this is like a DLC, really. Um, yes. But what is this game really doing that the first game didn't um but if you'd never played the first game you'd probably like this and if you have well maybe you'd like it it's just not me my cup of tea all this i didn't really get on with the first one and i have exactly the same issue with the second one it's just more of the same what's the difference well i'll tell you what the key difference is you paid an extra 10 quid for this one so that's the difference what did you think same exactly the same it's just the first game and it's just the first game it's just the first game but hey i'm sure that a lot of this it's just lifted yeah. wholesale from the first game. I would just advise you to go back and listen to what we said in episode 32 about this being the Rambo game yeah. that never was. I went back and listened to what we said about it, and we said, you know, it feels yeah, like the Rambo game. True. And now it's just repackaged with a new name. It's also not the next day, according to the story. Um, it's in the story in the game. Yeah, I don't know why they've called it that. I'm thinking that's when it's made. It's, it's, it says he did something to do. I don't know. Flying to the mission was a protracted control sequence of button presses and death from random planes that would fly by me. That's what I found. I never. It's too hard again. It's still too hard. As much as I want to yeah. like this game, upon revisiting it, I realised I like the idea that I, I like the idea that will be done much better by later versions of this kind of infiltrate and stealth mechanics than what is offered here. This is a blueprint for something that you know the games that will come along and do it a lot better. Um, but as it yes. is, it, yes, it is. There's some impressive tech. The, you know, it all hangs together very well in its thing. But it's the first game again. It's quite cheeky. I don't know. I didn't really yeah, notice it much difference. I mean, that opening sequence, it's even the same um, shot of the helicopter before you take off. Yes, there's, there's yes no it is. difference. Like, uh, just not much fun to play. Like I said, it's too hard as well. It's too awkward. It's too many button presses. Just, oh, I've got to scrub this and do that and get this ATM. It's like, just point. You know what you have on the, you know, in most things, you have a, like a compass. Just give me a compass direction. I don't. I shouldn't have to put in... Yeah coordinates to something and head it that way just tell me oh it's to the northwest all right i'll head yep. northwest so you don't need this clever crap you know mankind's been making its way around the world with just a compass for millennia not millennia centuries but you know now we've got these spangled things and things planes just turn up and go die scum and you're dead Nah, this one for me. I don't. Like the, the first time you play it, you're kind of like, oh, it's quite an interesting take. And then the second time you play it, you're like, you've just released the same game. Stop doing this. Nah, so Infiltrator 2 is the, the next. I think you're right. If, if this was now, this would just be DLC. This would just be some yeah, yeah, extra absolutely. content. But I don't know what's different about it. No, not for me. There we go. Well, that's, uh, well it started off well that half, that part, but yeah. soon went to crap. <laughs> and then maybe pulled up a little at the end, but... Ooh, yeah. 
torturous week. A torturous week. Let's let's not say no more about that lot of games. We'll we'll take a break. Should we take a break? I think we need a break. I think we have to. Let's take a break. We'll be back in a moment um, after this, where we will be talking about TV and video, TV and video, TV and film. Sorry, cinema stuff from July nineteen eighty eight. So see you in a bit. The novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. Growing up in the 80s is a chore for Sarah, who feels misunderstood by her parents and badgered by Reese, her bothersome brother who incessantly prattles on about his treasured computer games. When Reese tells her one of the games tried to pull him inside the computer, she laughs off his fanciful fib. She waggles the joystick to disprove his fairy tale and is pulled into the computer. Now trapped in games she'd never had any interest in playing, how can she possibly beat them? With the help of Feisty Nell, another trapped player, can Sarah find her way back home or is it game over? An evil madman, a hostile planet, bloodthirsty robots, a never-ending throng of karate experts and relentless digital soldiers will do their best to ensure Sarah never escapes. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, find out if there's a way out of the beige bread bin of betrayal for Sarah in Escape from the Commodore 64. And we're back. Let's let's see if there's some good stuff going on. I mean, we were, clearly weren't playing a lot of games this month. There was there much crop on telly or cinema? Or well, like. well, well. <laughs> you can tell this is summer. First of July, the Australian series The Flying Doctors makes UK debut on BBC One. Initially aired on Fridays at eight ten PM. From twentieth of August, it is moved to a Saturday early evening slot. Eight ten is a weird time on the BBC. That's pretty. That's like that's crazy, isn't it? On a that's Friday. casualty time. It is that was casualty. Ca- causality. You got co- co- its proper name. Causality. <laughs> causality. Yeah, that's causality time. <laughs> it, is. it actually is. Yeah, it is. It was. It's well. This would predate that, wouldn't it? This was the first one. Tolby City. You know that is it. Holby City. No, casual. No, causality's first. You're right. Yeah, causality's yeah. first, and then then Holby City came second. <laughs> you can't have you. You can't have causality that effect. <laughs> <laughs> God love a bit of causality, me. Hmm. What? How are they setting these things up? They precariously balance the boiling hot vat of acid <laughs> on top of a shelf over an infant. What could go wrong? Do 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 do. Here, Charlie. <laughs> Charlie Fairhead. Um, <laughs> so, flying doctors. That did. I guess. It's not on your watch list, that one. Uh, I, I, I remember it, but I don't. I, I, I think I'm getting this comfortable with doctors, that crappy daytime soap that's on. But um, flying doctors, I vaguely, vaguely remember this. I don't remember it being on at prime time Friday night and Saturday night. I guess there's not a great deal more you can make soap operas out of in Australia because sheep. Other than the expanse, well, other than the expanse of land, which is why the, they have flying doctors. So that's that. Yeah. You got and I know and I made a note of all these some of the other Aussie shows that I could remember that were just because there was like the, there was the great you know Aussie takedown wasn't it? We, all yeah. of a sudden a- anything they produced we wanted. Yeah, no, it's yes. just that you know if somebody at a certain point in time in the eighties if somebody farted in Australia it was made into a TV show and we had it on TV in Britain because <laughs> Australians were all considered really hilarious and funny. They were, yeah. And I mean, no disrespect to anyone Australian, obviously, but we just ended up with loads of TV shows from Australia. I've got here a country practice. We had that. Yeah. Uh, Sons and Daughters. Which you have to sing the theme tune to. Sons and Daughters. 
Love and laughter, tears and sadness for everyone. I thought it was and happiness. Yeah, tears, sadness, and happiness. We will find out, sons and daughters, what we two were once about, or something like that. That's it. Something like that's right. That's How did country practice go? I've, I can't remember country practice. I don't know. Sons and Daughters had... I, I used to come home to it because it was just on as you were coming home from school. So I'd always hear that theme tune. <laughs> there was... Uh, so Sons and Daughters, we know. Neighbours, of course. Neighbours, everybody. We know that one, bro. Home and Away. Let me be the one that you <laughs> turn to. Someone you can rely on. Closer each day. Oh, yeah. Home, home and, and Away. away. <laughs> And then there's uh, Prisoner Cell Block H. He used to give me roses. <laughs> I wish he would again. That's Gary's theme song, actually, to be fair. Gary, <laughs> he has a band walking behind him. He's he singing that. <laughs> he does. <laughs> On the inside, the roses grow. That's Gary. It's honestly Gary's theme song. Uh, the Flying Doctors, of course, which is the one we're talking about. I have no idea how that goes. I'm just, you know, could make it possible. It's the Flying Doctors. Diddle, diddle, diddle. They fly about and cure stuff. I don't know. And then there's um, the Young Doctors, which is the other one. So I don't know if some of what these shows. What did they shows, do? Uh, well, they, the Flying Doctors, they were too young to fly, I guess. <laughs> Too young to be doctors. There's just a lot of kids. <laughs> so, yes. So, um, I don't know what The Young Doctors is about. Um, I'm guessing at Doctors that were young. I do not I do remember it because I think some of these were daytime. How some young, of them though? were not daytime. What classes you as a young doctor? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't. I could Wikipedia them or something. I'm not going to. No. Googling Young Doctors is probably a bad move. <laughs> Safe search on, safe search on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you just you, you're going to be triggering some kind of you know. It's just the even with an innocent search, it's not the, not so much the returns. It's the endless spam you're going to get from doctor services. You know, you're just going to get endless adverts going. You need a doctor. Well, here's some private doctors. And, no, I don't. So, but that's I don't know what all of those were about. But that was the and then they all disappeared, didn't they? One by one, they just went off, off, dip, 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 gone. No more Australian TV shows. I mean, Neighbours is now finally finished as well. So I think that's it. Is it? Is there any left? It is. I think, home, I think is Home and gone. Away still running on Channel 5? That may be the last one, I think, because obviously Sons and Daughters has gone. Country Practice has finished. Neighbours, have they've all you know, they've all moved away. Prison Cell Block H, they've all got released. The Flying Doctors, have, you know, they've all grown too old to fly. And the Young Doctors are now too old. So they've all retired. So I Yeah. Here we go. Australian. Australian um, influx of TV. Um, also from across the water, 4th of July, Miami Vice returns to BBC One after 10 months. However, due to controversies over violence and drug use in a show called Miami Vice about violent policemen, <laughs> several of the episodes are not shown on the BBC, including one featuring a sympathetic IRA member played by Liam Neeson and another which sees the death of a key character, Larry Zito, played by John Deal. They were so weird. I mean, we'll come to the point about the you know the violence, but they were so weird about the IRA back then in any kind of representation of them, weren't they? Yes, they were, I mean, absolutely. there's that great bit in, what is it? Is it in Brass Eye or Day to Day where they get Alan Partridge? You made me dress up like this. I've got to... Switch, switch. Yeah, it's, it's a Day to Day, yeah. That is. <laughs> I find your tone very antagonistic. <laughs> Because <laughs> they just make him, yeah, make him talk by uh, inhaling helium, helium don't they? So, they? It, yeah. so it lessens the impact of his words. No, well, it was in. They passed that law, by the way, in October 
1988. So they banned the voice. They banned the broadcast of the voice oh, of yeah, IRA members go. on TV and radio in the UK. So they literally banned it. So when when they showed them, they obviously they meant we call them members of the IRA. They're actually it was a let's just say the a political party. And obviously there was all sorts of troubles around at the time. But but at the same time, their legitimate voice was that was then dubbed over. It was really weird to even think that that would happen in the UK. I mean that's the, kind of the actions of a of a, the sort of state that, you know, we now look at and go, you can't do that. But it's, you know, that happened in our own country. It's weird. I, mean, I, Very I weird. get it. I mean, the, the bombings and everything and all the kind of stuff that was going on, I'm not, I'm not condoning mm. any of this. No, it's no, just no, such no, a strange, so. it was such a strange time to be living that this kind of stuff was just, mm. you know, that's what it was. Can't imagine it. Uh, anyway, back to Miami Vice. So yeah, Miami Vice. Um, why worry about violence and drug use in a show that's based around drug use and violence? Seems <laughs> why show it? Why show it? Yeah, well, they, that's, that's the daft thing, you know. Show it and then worry about the controversies. Um, I just think it's funny how they, you know, they just think, it, I mean, to think of it now as it being controversial because it just had that on it. I mean, goodness me. Yeah. Compared to some of the shows there's been now, it's crazy. But at that time, the UK was still in the grip of the National Viewers and Listeners Association, which was headed by a do-good granny. Now, thankfully, actually, I won't say it that way. Now, sadly, <laughs> sadly dead, um, a lady called Mary Whitehouse, who took it upon herself to send essentially endless letters to the BBC and other broadcasters, complaining bitterly about everything that was she deemed violent or sexual or anything that was on TV. And there's there's an interesting archive which I'll post in the show notes, which is highlight of some of the headline letters that she sent to some of the broadcasters. And it, mm. I mean, this this was specific stuff. At 8.32 on this particular show, on this particular day, the the word, you know, um, shit was used six times. And, and it's, it's as detailed as that about almost every show you can think of. And she rallied lots of people to that cause. She did. In the end, of course, you know, that she was massively successful in some ways because there was a period, which seems crazy to think of now, but there was a period, wasn't there, when loads of movies were dubbed, the swearing was dubbed out of them, or entire scenes cut oh, together. God, yeah. You don't see it so much now, apart from some of the sort of odd channels. Yeah, but th- that was her and the power that the national viewers and listeners actually had at that time. Crazy. Because they had sort of parliamentary backing a little bit. They had they had an ear in parliament at the time. And her remit, her main argument behind all of this was that the BBC was meant to be a broadcaster for everybody. It was meant to be, it was the people's broadcaster, the public service broadcasting. So they shouldn't be broadcasting things like that. Um, they should be broadcasting things that are for the great and the good and all of that. And no, none of this Miami Vice business. And for a while they listened and then they went, oh, hang on a minute, we're not doing that anymore. Death, murder and more death. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, she was right about Gary though. As we well know. Yes, yes. She she once quoted as saying that Gary was a sick child. And she was <laughs> bloody right. She was right. She was right. <laughs> she were right about that, she were. Gary Wilson is a sick child, Mary Whitehouse. Yeah, still, I've still got that somewhere written on, written on the paper. She wrote it on. She did. She came past the house and just <laughs> took one look at him and wrote she it did. and then left. She, she did. Said, he, should be, he should be banned. Yeah, she screamed. <laughs> I scream, I'll never forget. And then um, she wrote that down on a piece of paper and then ran. Ran and tears streaming down her face. As fast as her tan tights could take her. <laughs> yes. Yes. We don't, we don't, we try not to think of that now. No, 17th of July, after 1,576 episodes, Farming is broadcast on BBC One for the final time. It is replaced the following week by Country File, whose brief was to look at issues reflecting all aspects of the countryside, rather than just focusing on farming. Those farmers have had it too good for too bloody long, and I want to talk about the hedgehogs 
and all that crap. <laughs> it did make me laugh when I read this. <laughs> you farmers, stop hogging <laughs> the, the bloody limelight. You've had over 1,500 episodes to talk about your boring farm shit. Now let's talk <laughs> yeah. about the countryside What's some more. What's new? <laughs> What's new? You've had 1,500 episodes. Yeah, aren't the issues of the countryside more or less the same as farming? Yeah. Yeah, so what are we going to talk about this week in Countryfile? Farming. Oh. <laughs> well, that's what they do. John Craven's been on that show forever. It's like he's, it's like, I'm not sure if it's him or it's a, it's a fungus version of him. Well, it's, it's the ever living. It's, it's the ever living. He's a cordyceps. John Craven, the ever living. <laughs> he, he is a cordyceps. It seems like the show has been rambling on and on. Ha ha. Um, <laughs> Forever. Um, but seriously, in all seriousness, the state of UK hedgerows and the iconic stone walls is important, as is the lifespan of the average UK badger. So thank the Lord for Countryfile, because where would we be without it? Where would we be? Honestly, we would, we I don't know. We well, John Craven wouldn't have a job. Well, it's always the same show. <laughs> it's kind of, they just put it on repeat. Just, nobody's noticed, because it's, it's viewing figures are too. It can only be the same. It starts off, Countryfile. He's sat by a stone wall and goes, Today isn't today's show. We're going to talk about the different qualities of grass, the age of that badger over there, and anything else I can see from where I'm sat because I'm too tired to walk. <laughs> this week, it's a fox. On this week, on track to watch. <laughs> and uh, who else was there? Because it'd be Chris Pack. Would Chris Packham turn up on it? Would he be on uh, it these no, days? He's, he's like the, he's like a young and you know funky version of John Craven, isn't he? He's like the he he's was the, yeah. is the is the, the, the Craven. Not young anymore. <laughs> but I suppose he's young in comparison to John Craven. Isn't John Craven dead? Is he? he either he's dead or he's a Vulcan. I'm not sure which. <laughs> uh, I don't know how long ago he went through Pond Far, but it was probably quite a while ago, I'd have thought. <laughs> probably was. Him and Shep. <laughs> Shep the dog. <laughs> no, dear. Poor old John Craven. He was on Newsround for years. He was old on Newsround. And then uh, uh, he's still on Country File because it's on, still on this. It's on every week, isn't it? It's on every Sunday. Yeah. Still there. And he did the. Uh, did he do. No, he didn't do. Did he do screen test? No. Can't remember. No, he was just. I think he was just Newsround. But I think. Newsround. It must be the cheapest program the BBC make. It must be. Because they essentially just put a camera in a field. And that's it. What we're we talking about. Everything that's in this field. Watch out for badgers. Okay. How old's that badger? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> watch out for badgers. So, watch out for badgers. Oh, shit, we've got 29 minutes more. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> uh, these these flowers, what are they? Not flower. Oh. Anyway. Uh, tractor, tractor wheels, tractor tires, um, anyone? Anyway, back on the farm. Yeah, so we just go back to farming. There's stuff happening there. Yeah. Nothing, happen- they'll, nothing they'll happens fight in back. the countryside. They'll be like, once it reaches like the 17,000th episode of Countryfile, the farming will come make a comeback. It'll be like, we're back. <laughs> no, we're coming back. We've now got stuff to talk about. You've had your chance. One day they'll be filming and just <laughs> cameras will be rolled over by tractors and combine harvesters and there'll be the, <laughs> the great massacre of Countryfile and just blood and gore everywhere. And just in the background, there'll just be a badger watching. John Craven can just, you know, he could switch into Android mode at any moment and just take a tractor down with his bare hands. Well, he's ever living. He is ever powerful. Ever living. 19th of July, there's the debut of the UK version of the game show Wheel of Fortune on ITV, presented by Nicola, Nicola, Nicky, Nicky Campbell with Angela Eket, Eket. E-K-A-E-T-T-E. I don't know how to pronounce that. Kate. Up your alley, isn't it? Up your alley, that one. You like the game shows. Uh, I don't like game shows, I, really. I, I was never a big fan of Wheel of Fortune. There's something about it. I don't know. Because it's it obviously it came from the US show, wasn't it? And you had to just guess the word. Yeah. Yeah, you, got, yeah. you revealed letters and had to guess the phrase or something. It was all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wasn't wasn't one of my favourites. I don't think Nicky Campbell was a particularly good host. It's all about the host. You have a good host. You got to have a good pun host. That's why I was a big fan of Bob Monkhouse shows. Yeah, and there's some really good that. pun versions of that as well on YouTube, where the word spells out 
because they've got certain letters missing. Like it, yeah. it looks really rude until they put the letters in. You're like, ah, oh, yeah. Okay. So you can yeah. YouTube that. You, yeah, <laughs> YouTube the electro scan. <laughs> Sometime in July, Stephen Barden is appointed as TVAMs. This is great, isn't it? It's like this ongoing saga of TVAM. <laughs> and having done the agenda <laughs> for been, August, yeah. there's more TVAM stuff coming. Oh, God, they were always in fighting somebody, weren't they? Stephen Barden is appointed as TVAM's new managing editor. With the station facing criticism from the IBA over the quality of its output, he acts quickly to improve matters. Repeats of imported US programs finally come to an end, or they're shown properly, while new programs, uh, <laughs> new programming is launched, and programs such as Frost on Sunday, off-air since the strike began, are restored. Now, you may think that's actually David Frost, but it's just whenever it's just a shot of a cold car <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> Someone trying to start it. Yeah. <laughs> Just pouring hot water over there. Like, oh. <laughs> Got a defrosty yeah. car. <laughs> With a credit card. <laughs> no, I mean, aside from that version of Frost on Sunday, I've never seen David Frost on Sunday ever. I don't think I ever watched it. It was never my thing. He never come around your house. He was around ours all the time. Uh, uh, never. He's I mean, right hello, good evening. It's that guy, isn't it? He really... steal all the gravy at lunch. Really, really man that he was. He was. Um, no, I, I didn't. But I, I was worried that this explains why all those US import shows that we came to watch the first six episodes of just got taken off the air immediately. So you're like, ah, oh, never going to see the end of that now. <laughs> <laughs> we well, probably did. You just never saw the beginning. Who knows what order they were shown in? <laughs> yeah, true. Because yeah. remember, they showed some episodes actually backwards. So God knows what we what, yeah. Flipper was backwards, really? wasn't it? At one point. Yeah. New shows for the month. Sixth uh, of July, we had something called Kelly Vision. Very difficult to find anything out about that. Yeah. What was this? <laughs> It wasn't a huge favourite, no. Something to do, it's a tiny show, and something to do with uh, somebody called Chris Kelly. So. Okay. Did, oh, did he do Clapperboard? Potentially. I've got his uh, his talent profile, and we'll put it in the show notes so you can you know check what you know about uh, Chris Kelly. I didn't know anything about I, I'd sort of recognised his name, but I got him mixed up with that other Kelly, the big I'm tall sure. one off. Um, uh, hang on a minute. Yeah, he did Clapperboard, yeah. Eyes. Program presenter who went on to front popular children's TV shows such as Clapperboard. There you go. Dug that one out of the memory banks. Yeah, but don't help you because you don't know what Kellyvision is. I have no idea, but I'm going to say obviously because he was it was all about TV, wasn't it? He was a kind of that kind of thing. So I'm wondering if it's some. It's obviously maybe it was just him watching telly. It can't be a coincidence that they take all the US imports off and then you end up with a program called Kellyvision, which is just Chris Kelly doing stuff (laughs) to his telly, which is broken. (laughs) I defer back to my notion that they replaced all the US imports with homegrown crap. And there's perfect evidence of it. Probably. Only ran for a year anyway. 26th of July, there was I Can Do That, which ran from 1988 to 1991. Don't remember this at all. It was produced by Yorkshire TV and aired for four series on ITV's CITV from 1988 till 1991. Mm. The original host was Simon O'Brien, who for the final series was replaced by Bruno Brooks. Simon O'Brien, and he, Damon from Brookside. No idea. Again, that's something you'd need to... I didn't watch Brookside and I never will. (laughs) You don't know what you're missing out on. Um, in film, if you if you weren't happy watching all that at home, and why would you not be? You could go to the cinema on the first of July. You could watch Shoot to Kill, uh, or as we knew it over here in the UK, it was Deadly Pursuit. So mm. this is uh, Sidney Poitier, isn't it? Is it Sidney yes, Poitier? it is. Yes, yeah, yes, Sidney Poitier and Tom Berenger, yeah. Now, I've always said this. there's a weird thing about this film, um, which people don't understand, but this film starts at the start and ends at the end. Now, I know that sounds really obvious, but there's no preamble to it. It Basically, as soon as this film starts, the main story gets going. The you know It gets going okay. straight into the chase, and then it ends right at the very end of the chase. There's no 
you know, like in most films, you get introduction to the characters and mm-hmm. da, 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 and then the plot starts about five, ten minutes in. This doesn't. It's yeah. just like, bang, straight in. It starts oh, immediately. Okay. It's quite good. It is actually quite good, this film. I, I do remember I enjoying this. It. Roger Spot is directed, isn't he? 48 Hours, Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. Stop or my yep. mum will shoot. Mm. Air America, yeah, a few others. Yeah, he's got, he's got quite a good history of films, Roger Spotty's Woody. Yeah, and, and Sidney Poitier is always, always watchable. The great yeah. actor he was. Oh, very much so, yeah. But Roger yeah. Spotty's Woody is a silly name. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Spottiswood. It's like it's Edward Woodward and Roger Spotty's Woody. In this, you know, that's why they can never be in the same space. Because he spots his Woody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he spots Edward Woodward, Woody. <laughs> exactly. You can't oh. have those two in the same space. It's grammatically impossible. Yeah. And he's he he's really good at when they play around the kids' game, you know, when they're playing with the Toy Story toys, and he can always when they hide Woody, he can always find it. Woody's <laughs> Woody's roundup, yeah. Well, if they have all that, all those, all that wood in the same room, they get a, a grammaticon, which is a, a grammatic explosion, which can uh, kill kill for a thousand meters. So just avoid avoid that altogether. Yeah, grammaticon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I don't know what that is, but I like it. I'm using that. I'm nicking that. No, it's, no, it's grammaticon. You can have that one I said earlier, and I'll have this one. Um, <laughs> also on 1st of July if you didn't fancy going spot his wood you could have watched The Perfect Murder <laughs> I don't know anything about this no uh, it's police inspector Goatee lives a middle class life in Bombay along with his wife Pratima he has been employed with the Bombay police for many years his wife is generally disgruntled and wants a better life he is assigned to investigate the deadly assault on a Parsi man named Perfect who is the secretary of La La Hiralal, a wealthy man with underworld links. So make of that what you will. I'd never seen it before. I'd never heard of it. No, I hadn't. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård's in it, though. Yeah, it's got, it looked intriguing enough, but uh, it's just it completely missed me. So No, it was. did you ever fact, see it on most, the... Most on, of these did, actually. Yeah, did you ever see that on the shelves of Blockbuster? It, it didn't ring a bell. And let me have a quick look at the cover. Um, <laughs> no, it's not one I'd ever seen in the Blockbuster. At least not in that version of the cover, anyway. No. So. Uh, 15th of July, you could have gone and watched Police Academy 5, Assignment Miami Beach. Ugh. Now, I'm going to say here, this is where this it was four where I tuned out. Uh, so I don't actually know if I've ever watched five because four was so bad. Yeah, um, you'd know if you'd watched five because five's the worst one of them all. It's it's categorically the worst one. It's awful. I mean, four was awful. I mean, it, it, I mean, they've all gone. Who's left by this point? Who's in it? What what um, characters have we got left? Well, well the, the characters that you know are going to be in it are in it. So Lassard's in it. Yeah, who um, else? And I, th- and I think it's got this one. It's got this return of um, the same sergeant from the first one. So it's not Mauser in this one. It's um, So we've got Hightower, Tacklebury, Jones, Callahan, Hooks. Sound Proc- effects guys in it. Proctor. Yeah. Harris, Lassard. Yeah, Harris. That's it. Sergeant Harris. Yeah. Ready Aubergineau's in it as well. Yeah, it's just not very good. It's not very the jokes in it are, by this point it's so toned down that you, it's borderline Scooby Doo humour. It's like it, yeah. it really is that that bad. It's so lame. Yeah. What's the plot behind it? Do you know? What's um, it, what is it about? I, I think it's something to do with gangs on Miami Beach. I think, and I can't I can't remember because I, I don't think there really is much of a plot to it. It's very it's it's a police academy, so there's some kind of riot, and then. Each quirky character gets involved in some hijinks or something. Hightower gets his gun out, hooks, shouts at somebody. Yeah, exactly. It's just that. Jones makes some noises. A few silly bad shark jokes and surfing, but surfboard humour and things. And periodically lots of scantily clad women on the beach kind of thing. Yeah, but no boobs though. Boobs went out after number one. Exactly. It's it's holiday crimes in this, so you know, so that sort of stupid stuff. And I don't think in this one either, 
there's any reference at all to the Blue Oyster or anything like that. It's all gone. Okay. And so has obviously, by this point, Steve Guttenberg. Yeah. And um, all the other act- actors, that, uh, actors that are in the, that make the first one and two okay. Uh, yeah. Not awful. Good. Not good. Uh, also, 15th of July, you could have gone and watched Light of Day. This was a curious thing, this. Yeah. Michael J. Fox, isn't it? Mm, yeah, smoking. Oh, smoking Michael J. Fox. Do you mean as in having a cigarette or just that he's smoking? Well, no, he's actually smoking the cigarette. He was oh, a, right. he was a chain smoker, wasn't he, Michael J. Fox? He smoked heavily. Oh, I've, no, I've no idea. But he didn't like he didn't like people knowing that he smoked, so he tried to keep, sort of keep it under wraps, but he was a quite a heavy smoker. All oh, right. Was it, was he still doing what was the American TV show that he was was it all about the family or, or? Yeah, something like that. Family is it Family Ties? Family Ties, that, that was it. Yeah, Family Ties. Like was he still doing that? Because he still had a bit of a wholesome. Yeah, that's you know. it is that, and it's that that Michael Jack, J Fox's sort of face, but it's it's a bit more more of a serious role in this. Um, it's actually quite an interesting film about rock band. This, yeah, it's quite it's quite good from what I remember of it. I don't, I don't um, think I've seen it, but, I, I, yeah, but then at a, a certain point, I, I remembered that he leapt up and did a basketball just as a werewolf, and I'm thinking I'm getting it confused with another film. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Back to the Future. Sure that didn't happen in Good this. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just sort of, they're sort of merged into one that probably didn't happen. It was, I think that was the uh, secret of my Teen Wolf, but I could be wrong. <laughs> Something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting enough if you like, you know, these sort of guitar rock band type vibes and yeah, songs I and guess. that. Yeah. Um, and finally, uh, on the 22nd of July, if you wanted to force yourself to, you could have gone and watched The Couch Trip. Oh, God, no. Yes, this is a, I'm going to say a comedy. Burnt out shrink need a temp, a charming escaped convict takes over his practice and radio show. So this is Dan Aykroyd, is it Charles Grodin as well? Yeah, yeah Charles Grodin, Walter Matthau. It's essentially somebody gets in charge of the, you know, an insane asylum, isn't it? Or a mental health institution. Yep. And yeah. one of the doctors, and it's, you know, oh, isn't that funny? The, the, the patients are in charge kind of thing. Yeah. And it did make me think sort of thing. It's, did, did you know, like you put your post Ghostbusters Dan Aykroyd? Did he do anything good? Mm. I, was, I, I was trying to think of the same thing because I was thinking, what's he actually in? I mean, he's he, he's actually in, he's in 1941, the Spielberg movie. Or yeah, well, that's, that's early. That's about that's about. That's what I mean. But so so like he's that. in that and he's he's sort of a little bit funny in that. And he's, he's in Saturday Night Live a lot. And then he's, there's all the films he's famous for, Ghostbusters, some extent Ghostbusters 2 and of course um, Blues Brothers but after after Ghostbusters and at this point um, other than Spies Like Us and things is he in Spies Like Us I think and stuff like that yeah, uh, yeah he's Spies Like Us yeah but I mean that's I don't remember Chase. him being anything good I, yeah that's what I mean but I don't remember him being very good in much of anything after that I don't really remember him I'm trying to have a look um, let's have a look see what he's done um, so post Ghostbusters what do what have we got uh yeah, Ghostbusters uh, into the night. Dra- Dragnet. He's all right in Dragnet, actually. Uh, I don't Dragnet's mind Dragnet. Okay, yeah. So but that was that was probably the funny. He spies like us Dragnet because uh, he plays the uptight whatever. Yeah, because remember the dun, 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 dun. That Yeah, was exactly. The Couch trip. Great outdoors. Mm, yeah, crap. He's in. He's in Caddyshack too, and he's crap. Caddyshack too. Ghostbusters two isn't very good. Um, no, he's not. I'm trying to look. No, I can't. You know, sneak. Is uh, he? Sneakers is a good film, but not because of him. Coneheads. That was yeah. awful. That was awful. Tommy Boy, mm. Canadian Bacon. He's now he's not the main one in Tommy Boy, but he's quite funny in it. But he's not as funny as Tommy Boy. That's what it. I mean. Is I don't. Yeah, it, David I don't know. Spade and that in that one was really good. Yeah, and, I think he's a, he, he got by in his early career. And probably you know Blues Brothers, didn't he? Yeah, I didn't know if he does a lot of writing and stuff like that. Maybe, but anyway, yeah, he so probably does. He's also in, it came from Hollywood as well. Yeah, but also don't forget, isn't he in Blues Brothers two thousand? Yep, which is not a good thing. No, it's not. It's really not. It's not. Yeah, I don't know. Dan Aykroyd's a bit of a 
He's a bit, I think he's a bit weird really. these days, isn't he? And of course, he appears in the latest Ghostbusters movie, doesn't he? At the end there. He does, yes. He does pop up in that. Along with mute CG Egon. CG Egon. <laughs> Sounds like... Yeah, mute mute CG. Have you seen the latest Ghostbusters? I have, yeah. I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, apart from the end when CG Egon appears. Muted, right. silent CG Egon. Yeah, I mean, it's sad, but he's mute. He's no, he is because mute. they well, obviously didn't. Ghosts can't talk, except yeah. they can in. Um... No, they don't talk. They squeal a lot, but I don't think they talk. Do they? Oh yeah, they do. Oh, they do. who cares? <laughs> it's ghosts. It's Ghostbusters. It doesn't matter. Well, Ghostbusters. What do you want? Absolutely. Uh, there you go. Couch Trip's not a particularly good film. Not a. It is not good month of TV or cinema. Oh, I have no. to say. But then again, nobody's in, are they? No. This was the time when you would actually go out. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, do July, stuff. You're out. You're out, you're out doing stuff. There you go. That's your TV and film. We've got four more games coming up. We're going to go take a quick break and we'll be back with them in a bit. The novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. Crash landing on a green planet full of vector graphics, can Sarah find a way to escape for real? Or is she stranded on a planet full of sun, sea, and chippy tea forever? Imagine finding yourself in a cinematic karate game, having to rescue a princess, or remain stuck under the run-stop key forever. What about finding yourself on a space freighter full of robots? Could you clear the decks? If you were transported back to a Wild West town, having to round up outlaws, could you survive until sunset? What if you were a wizard with a cat who must color worlds? Could you beat the game, or would a virtual guitar solo announce your demise? Sarah might just be another visitor, but she doesn't want to stay a while, never mind forever. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, discover if there's a way out in Escape from the Commodore 64. Visit davidhernwriter.com to find out more. And we are back with our last part of July 1988. It feels weird this being a two-parter. And we're, you know, we've not had one for so long that it just feels Old odd. school. We've gone and old school. We've we have gone, gone old properly school. old school. Um, and to carry on that old school mentality, I don't know how that links to this anyway, what shape or form. Um, Graham, tell us all about being a bionic commando or commandos. There's two of them, but there's only one. Why is it multiple? Why is this name plural? Don't, don't ask complicated Pluralized. questions. Okay, um, tell us about so, Commandos. Th- so this is published by Go. Its oh. copyright is Capcom because it's based off an old Capcom arcade. It was developed by Software Creations, coded by Stephen Rudy. Graphics are by Andrew R. Threlfall. Um, he also did the title screen. And the musician here is the all-powerful Tim Folin. He is. Um, so Bionic Commando, actually, no, it's Bionic Commandos, but the Bionic, Bionic Commando, the game, was released in Japan as Top Secret. Interesting enough, it's a run-and-gun platform game released by Capcom in arcades in 1987. It was designed by Takuro Fujiwara as a successor to his earlier wire-action platformer Rock and Rope in 1983, building on a grappling hook mechanic. He was also the designer of Commando. Mm. Makes sort of sense when I think of it. In fact, the game was advertised in the United States as a sequel to Commando, going as far as to refer to the game's main character as Super Joe, the protagonist of Commando. Did you know that? I didn't know it was called Super Joe. Super Joe? Yeah, in the promotional <laughs> brochure, who was originally an unarmed member of a special commando unit in the Japanese and international versions. Weird. The protagonist is a commando equipped with a bionic arm featuring a grappling gun, allowing him to pull himself forward or swing from the ceiling. Despite it being a platform game, the player cannot jump to cross gaps or climb ledges. The hero must use the bionic arm. 
So that's that's the that's essentially the arcade and a little bit of a backstory there. Um, so um, in the Commodore sixty four version, the scenario is as follows: mm-hmm. It may have been ten years, but the oppression and devastation continues. The alien forces that allied waste to our beautiful world have all but decimated our civilization. Now, for the first time in so many years, comes our chance for glory again. The Bionic Commandos. Mm-hmm. This elite fighting force is each equipped with oh, a bionic arm. Okay. I see you're one of the uh, bionic arm with which they can climb and swing from platform to platform by extending their arm and grabbing and uh, suitable objects above them. Their arm is also useful for catching provisions and extra weapons parachuted into the combat zone as a weapon. The bionic arm delivers an awesome blow to any enemy soldiers he comes to grip with. Mm. Um, after battling his way through the alien base complex, the commander must destroy the launch computer, thus preventing the aliens from using their doomsday weapon there are in the commodore 64 version five stages the stages are the dying forest the castle infiltration the control tower and the silo Mm. each one of those represents a similar similar challenge in that you've got to kind of navigate you through using your bionic arm grabbing different weapons along the way shooting at things and generally trying to get um and destroy the um objects or find the killer thing at the end to progress on to the next level and normally those things are up and to the right in my estimation of this game up and to the right that's right so um i'll talk about how the game looks and everything else but firstly um the music in the commodore 64 version is amazing it's better than the arcade i had a look at the arcade it's the same as the arcade but the music is genuinely brilliant for this um just tonally i think just just the use of sounds i mean it may not be the greatest piece of uh, composition but the sounds in this are genuinely they 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 sit and when you hear them it's they're different it's very clanky it's very clonky it's very plonky it's what it isn't is some derivative boring tune it's very odd and that's the arcade it's the same as the arcade sounds and that's in game all the music is the same as the arcade mm-hmm. so the game is a multi-directional scrolling grab em up as you try and navigate your bionic commando and his grappling arm through five difficult levels there is no jumping in this game as i've said to climb the levels you must shoot at your grappling arm and fling towards them your way is thwarted thwarted by enemies that will drop on you and also have grappling arms occasionally to chase you about. They will also shoot at you, annoyingly. Um, the path through and up the level is also blocked by obstacles, some of which you can shoot out, some of which you need to work your way around. There are also drops which you must not fall into. Do that or fall foul of the enemy and you will lose one of your three lives. Around the level, you will also see extra weapons, crate drops, and mini medals for bonuses. You control everything here with the joystick. Uh, direction moves your commando. Fire and direction fires your grappling hook upwards or directionally upwards. Oddly, um, unless I was doing it wrong, and maybe you'd found it, I couldn't fire directly horizontally in the C64 no. version. I, c- I couldn't do that, which is really weird because you can do that on every other version, but the C64 version. No, all I can do is just shoot. Yep. And you can even do that in the arcade. In fact, in the arcade, it's part of the key game mechanics because you can shoot and grab some of the items off. So the weapons, extra weapons and crates, you can grab them with your claw, which you can't do in the C64 version. Yeah. Which is yeah, yeah. really strange because you, you, so you can in the crappier c64 version which we'll also talk about mm. so instead in this one you just get you just fire your weapon when you grab a ledge you don't automatically fire onto the top which is a nice feature in this um because sometimes you just need to wait because if you happen to jump up and there's a person there you're going to die straight away so you do get a little bit of player affordance so you don't have to mm-hmm. just leap around and land right on the top of the platforms you can sort of hang about if you like um and sometimes you'll need to do that um but if you do die and you're sad enough to do that you will parachute back in which you can sort of control so that you can land back on a ledge again so that's how the sort of game replays. Um, the main window mm-hmm. of the game is the play area with a UI 
At the top, displaying your score, remaining time, remaining lives, and current weapon. Under that is the medium res game area with decent backgrounds, details, and platforms you must navigate. Your player controls reasonably well, and the grappling and flying about works okay. Indeed, there is mostly everything here by the fiddlier and longer levels from the arcade. And the main sprite is okay, but it follows the kind of ghosts and goblins, which I think this game owes a hell of a lot to, actually. The co- but mixed with a sort of commando-type vibe. There's quite a few enemies on screen and only occasional bugs from the multiplexer in here. So again, it felt a little bit in the first level, like the second level of Ghosts and Goblins. It's yes. very similar to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, uh, the in-game music uh, is exactly the same as the arcade and also quite nice to play along to. There is some sound effects you want those as well, as well or in, instead of. I found that it's quite a nice package altogether and pretty difficult, this game. You're probably not going to be at this for a while, or should I say you probably are going to be at it for a while, but are you going to play it for longevity? I don't know. But I'm not a massive fan of the Bionic Commando Arcade. I couldn't honestly tell you maybe a handful of times I've ever seen it. I think they've got one in the arcade club. In fact, I'm pretty sure they have. And I, but I did play the C64 version a fair bit back in the day because I, I actually, for some reason, I quite liked it. I don't quite know why, really. I think there is a there is a sense of swing about freedom to it, in a way, um, that just kind of work. And I think because I quite like Ghosts and Goblins, I think there's echoes of it, and it sort of appealed to me in that, those levels. But they are very samey as you progress through the game, and, and the difficulty is ramped up beyond belief. So I remembered it more fondly than I actually came to see it this time around. It was a bit mm-hmm. blockier than I remembered it. The graphics are nice and green. It looks jungly. The, you know, the graphics, I think, are quite nicely done in the way that they are. And the scrolling is a little on the slow side, but it is okay. Certainly better than Karnov in that respect. And it is all helped by the really interesting tones and clanks and sound effects, which are filtered to sound very different. That doesn't This doesn't sound like your average C64 game, which is important, I think. So it's not a bad conversion, actually, as it goes. I think it's got enough of the arcade and enough of the probability to be entertaining. I just don't know that that was ever really that much to begin with. Mm. So I think it's it's, it's a fairly average to average to interesting arcade as made for an average to interesting game. This is multi-load as well. And I enjoyed what I played. I enjoyed what I played of it. It was nice to go back. It's a fairly straightforward in. It's not a steep learning curve to the game. The controls do work as you expect, apart from that weird side grab, which you can't do. No idea why. So I thought the UK version, it was all right. I don't know that 90% was a bit high. I'd have put it more around the 70s. It's about it's about 70% for it. It's, it's in the same realm as Commando, actually, in that same sort of, and Ghosts and Goblins, as arcade conversions. It's not horrible or terrible. It's just an 8-bit version of something that's kind of average anyway. Um, so it, it was all right, with the exception of the music, which I, I particularly find quite interesting. There is a final nod in all of this to the weird and crappy US version of this, um, which I loaded up. So there is a US-specific version. Mm-hmm. I don't quite know what happened with that. Something went badly wrong. <laughs> the end result had loads of issues. It had a NAF title screen. There was no music to speak of as such, but on the title screen in the game music, it was a version of the arcade, but horrible. The sprites had weirdly large heads, which was dead yeah. strange. You could sh- shoot your core out horizontally, which you can't do in the UK version, but everything ran slow and there was basically nothing there. It was awful, really bad. So what happened there, I don't know. I think it just, it looked to me like it was unfinished, um, but it wasn't a patch on the UK version. The UK version was far more accomplished. I just don't know that it's it's not a great, great game. And I think that's it just belies it. it's kind of, it's all right in the same way that a fly, it's like flying commando, really, I suppose, of. Mm-hmm. You know, Bionic Commando is exactly what it is. It's a commando game with you flying around on trees. So I enjoyed what I played of it, and the music is really good. But what about you? Yeah, it's a, it's a solid conversion, I guess, of, of the Capcom arcade game by the people who did Bubble Wobble, isn't it? It's helped in no small measure by the odd and bizarre series of tunes from Tim Follin. I think you're more of a fan of them than I am. I think they're okay. 
I think, and I don't know, it's okay. they're okay. They're unusual. They're clanky. It's okay. It's a little annoying in places, and I think that's partly due to the level design. Quite often, I would find myself having to do sort of drops of faith um, because I couldn't see if there was anything beneath me, and I didn't know. I couldn't. Can you can't fire your grappling hook downwards, can you? So no, no, so you can't. You no. kind of there are spaces where you just fall into the void. Yeah, on a branch, and you're like, do any, and then I did actually drop into the void at one point, and then it just kept spawning me above the void, and I couldn't get out of it. So I was like, oh. you, can, you can, well, you parachute, you can move your parachute. You can move and your parachute, you, but I was, I was in the middle, and it only, you can only move it a certain amount. I found. Yeah, it no, but if your parachute goes to the bottom, it comes back at the top. You don't lose a life. Oh, maybe I wasn't losing a life then. I don't know, but I couldn't. I, I, it was quite annoying. I don't know. Anyway, I fell into a void, and I don't like being. I don't like having to make falls of faith, or drops of faith, or jumps of faith, leaps of faith, whatever. I need to be able to see that there's something beneath me. Um, so I found that a bit annoying. Um, I don't know if it's this like the arcade version. I don't really, I don't rem- I have no recollection of seeing the arcade version anywhere. So I watched a YouTube version of it and I guess it's, you know, the, the weird thing what this has done is it's made that, it, we saw this in something else. I think it was Wonder Boy where they made the background black. Yeah, it's a bit of a cheap shot to do that, but I can well, see why they the, did it. The arcade version is really colourful. It's like a you know skybox and everything. Yeah. I mean, you could have just done it blue or you know something just to make it a bit more colourful. But it means it feels like you're playing at night. So I don't know. It just feels yeah. a in that jungle level. The later levels have got a bit more variety. But yeah, yeah. they have. But the first level, it, the other one we did, Rastan did it as well. I think. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit of a cheap shot in it. To so do it's that, like really. I guess it's memory reasons. I guess, but just make it blue. Yeah. At least it's the sky then. Yeah. Well, if it's I suppose if it's black, it's no color, is it? So maybe it doesn't cost anything in terms of maybe you know, I don't one, know. Of, one of your colors, I guess. Is anyway, it's it's pretty. I mean, this is pretty good. It's if it's a da- like you said, it's a dance like better than that atrocious American version. He gads. <laughs> what went on there? Something went wrong um, there. It went, it's not, American versions are not always the worst. I think, I think we preferred the 720 American version, didn't we? I think that was a bit. I don't know whether there was something there, but this one in, in comparison is a, is a travesty. It's a nightmare. Like you said, it's unfinished. Um, but yeah, but th- this is okay. I think ninety percent is too high as well. I don't think it's worth the plaudits that, that are ladled there. It's a seventy to eighty for me. It's competent and it pl- plays okay. But I think there's some niggly issues. And I think you're right. Not having that being able to fire your your bionic arm horizontally is a is a weirdly strange omission. It's I think you weird should be able that's to do missing. That. I don't know why it is, but there you go. Yeah, it's all right. Um, interestingly, there was a sequel, a proper sequel to this. Um, on the 360, did you ever play it? Yeah, you know, I have a feeling I did, but I don't remember much of it. Um, I did. It took ten pl- ten years. I've got the I've got the plot up here. It took ten years after the original game. It follows Major Nathan Rad Spencer, who's voiced by Mike Patton, weirdly from Faith and More. He's a government operative working in a fictional Ascension City, and an operative named Joseph Gibson, aka Super Joe. Ah, there you go. So there you go. But it turns out that Super Joe though is actually the bad guy in Bionic Commando. And knew it all your along. Bionic arm is powered by the spirit of your dead wife. Wow, that took a dark turn all of a sudden. <laughs> there you go. Because uh, something about, um, according to Super Joe, in order for Bionics to work perfectly, they have to sync with their host on both an emotional and physical level. In this case, Spencer's wife was the perfect candidate. Leak. So, Leak. yeah. <laughs> it's all very odd. There you go. So, yeah, that, so that was that C360 version. I'm not sure if it, it was okay, I think, that 360 version. But just weird. I'm just interested that it had Super Joe back in it. Who did the music for the 360 version then? <laughs> Jamie Chris. Christopherson as a uh, composer. Chris Christopherson's uh, nephew. <laughs> Christopherson, quite quite possibly, yeah. Well, you know, could we, very well got be. a reasonable chance of that being right. You, you have, yeah, it could be. could be Bob Christopherson <laughs> for all I know. It could be Christopherson the clown. <laughs> it, could be, it could be anyone, I don't know. But anyway, there you go. Bandit Commando and its strange uh, offshoot. All right, there we go. It's Bandit Commando. It's all right. Let's move on to our next one.
<laughs> okay, this is also from Go. That last one was from Go, wasn't it? Mm. Go, it's a Go Double Bill. Mm. Go Double Bill. It made me laugh because in the review, Bernard Cranes are like, Go are back, they've done a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then they've done a bad thing. This is Laser Tag. It's got 22%, full price, nine ninety nine. This is from, as I said, it's an 8-bit version as a craze of the 80s of running around and shooting at your mates with lasers comes to life. But, but hang on, hang on, hang on. This has a plot. Got a plot, Graham. This is straight from the back of the box. Transport yourself to the year 3010, where competition and sport have replaced bloodthirsty lust for violence and confrontation. Yes, you'll experience the danger of combat. Yes, you'll feel the rush of adrenaline as you face your challenge. But this battlefield does not render injury. It creates a fever pitch atmosphere of nerve-jangling exhilaration and pulsating exi- excitement. Sharpen your reflexes and test your energy levels as one round of laser tag makes the ultimate demands of concentration and skill on your mind and body alike. Did you get that from this? No. <laughs> no. It may be true in real life when you play laser tag. Yeah, fine, computer game. Uh. Anyway, this was designed by Dominic Wood, and it was coded by Keith Perkis. Do you remember him, Graham? His he did name it's rings a, knock- a frosty bell. He did It's a Knockout. Oh, God. And yeah, Last Mission. <laughs> and has music by Jazz C. Brook. Oh, Jason Brook, whatever his name is. When the game loads, we can see who made it and curse them. <laughs> we have some options, such as one or two players, which is stupid. If you, if you play I played it in two players, thinking, oh, you know, whatever. Go to, you, but you just play through it in player one until you get game over, and then play two gets a go. That's not how one or two players work. It's usually lose a life, give it to the next one. <laughs> yeah, you play it intermittently. <laughs> That's how two players works. Or you have two players on screen at once, which would have also been a thing maybe you could have done in this. So I don't know. What's that stupid? You can have the music on or off in game and the sound effects off or on in game. Pressing F7 starts. What we have here is a, well, a rather crappy commando clone with bouncing bullets or lasers, should I say, an awful level design. So interestingly, I mean, this is probably the only interesting about the game is made up of two modes, uh, shootout and target. So when you start, you are in shootout mode. This is essentially commando. So you run around with a view from the top and behind the player. You leg it upwards and other taggers, what are they called? What were the people? Laser taggers? Taggers? Unfortunately, yeah, but I think, I think yeah. it must be a laser tagger. Tagger? Uh, they appear and they fire at you. You can fire at them, you shoot at them, blah, blah, blah. Should you get hit? You know, if they hit you, because you've got a circle in your chest, basically, which is the tar- you know, the laser tag. It's the target. So when you're playing laser tag, you have something on your chest, don't you, which the laser hits, and then it boop, 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 fires off, and that's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that, was, that was what it was. So you've got that on your chest, and if you get hit three times, it's game over. That's how this plays out. Every time you do get hit, I don't know if you found this, the controls went really weird. Yes, every time. They just reversed. And, or didn't or just kind of started pulling in the yeah, opposite direction lost it yeah yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, what, yeah exactly what's right here? i don't know i don't know whether it's something to sort of simulate oh i've been hit with a laser or whatever i don't know anyway the objective for this mode is simply to make it to the top of the level where you will find a fence get there and then the level repeats in target mode so it just resets back to the beginning at the level in this mode the computer moves you and you just have to shoot so you're just pressing the fire button while the computer's running around you don't aim or anything that i could make out I have no idea what this is all about. I don't get it. I don't know what the point of this was. Once done, you move on to the next of the six levels and repeat the two modes. The only reason I can think there is is because they only designed six levels. So to make it feel a bit longer, they made you repeat it twice, you know, so it's actually 12 playthroughs. That's it. There's very little to this. The levels are really short and can and really can be com- just completed by just running through them. Just leg it. Don't bother trying to shoot. That's the worst thing you can do. Just run. There's no point in shooting. So, you know, for a game called Laser Tag that is based on a game about shooting, to have trying to shoot the enemies being a pain in the ass is quite the achievement. It's essentially undermined the core concept of laser tag and made you not want to shoot. Maybe that was the point. Maybe it was a, a secret like pacifism type game or something. I don't know. <laughs> 
I don't know, because the major, you just run. Just run away. You just run to a fence. That's what this game is. It's run to the fence game. <sighs> anyway, yeah. The, 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 the lesser-known Iron Maiden track. <laughs> run to the fence. <laughs> <laughs> Run for your life. <laughs> Run to the fence. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah, I like, the, I like, I'm liking it. The graphics are our favourite res. Um, very. Everything is oddly coloured. The main sprite is a blocky helmet. It's not got a helmet, but it looks like it's got a helmet because he's got a square helmet. He's got a Lego head. But everyone <laughs> looks the same. The music quickly gets annoying and the sound effects are great in. The UI has both players score at the top and the words laser tag, in case you forgot what you were playing. And at the bottom is the timer and you've got a timer to get through and the number of tags you have scored, I think, or something. There's so little to this. It's quite something. You can easily bypass everything by just running. So what's the point in calling it laser tag? Why does the helicopter fly across in level two? What is the point of this game? I mean, I, it works. I guess it works. But in the grand scheme of things, it's just empty. And trying to engage with the shoot in it gives no enjoyment. And it actually makes it for a worse enjoyment because you'll just get you'll just get you know disintegrated. You just get killed by all the... Because what happens is the, the lasers just bounce around all over the place crazy and the enemies will just run on and dead, dead aim shots and they'll be taken out in seconds. It's just a pointless. What a pointless license this was. Who cares about laser tag in a video game? You go play laser tag. That's the whole point of it. If you want to play something like this, yep. you know, go play Ikari Warriors, Commando, Who Dares Wins One, Two. You know, if you want that kind of game, if you want Commando, go play Commando or Ikari Warriors. Go, go play them because this is a crap version of those. I thought you were going to say, if you want Commando, go Commando. Go, well, go Commando. Yeah, if you want Commando, yeah, take your pants off and just play this. <laughs> Show people your tagger. <laughs> Uh, all those are far superior to this. Uh, I call this laser gag. Um, yeah. That yeah, was my comment. Yeah, this go. wasn't very good. What did it get? 22%. That's about right. This wasn't particularly very good at all. There's nothing to it. It's an empty, vacuous void of a game. What did you think? Yeah. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I don't understand the notion of a toy turned game, essentially, which is what it is. It's a toy. It's a toy turned game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I get the idea of a physical laser tag game in a space where you're running around hiding behind things and shooting out from, and I get that. I don't get this at all. It does not make sense. It actually reminded me of uh, that entire speech from um, the Chef Aid episode of South Park when um, they're in court and he uses the Chewbacca defense. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, because he says, why would a Wookiee, an eight foot tall Wookiee, want to live on Endor with a bunch of two foot tall Ewoks? That does not make sense. But more important, you have to ask yourself, what does this have to do with this case? Nothing, ladies and gentlemen. It has nothing to do with this case. It does not make sense. Yep. And that's this game. You look at it and it doesn't make any sense. Makes no sense. Um, it's the, it's a physical manifestation. It's a this video game manifestation of a physical act done mm -hmm. badly. It's, it's just weird. It's all over the place, this game. It makes no sense. It's like making a game based on Nerf guns. It just it's like, Why would that be a thing? Yep. What you end up with then is like, you've, it's, you've described an over-busy runabout. Expensive too at 10 quid. It's probably cheaper to go and play laser tag, you know, and you don't, you don't have to get your tagger out and wander around with your pants off or anything. Um, <laughs> it's, I thought, oddly, oddly about this, I thought that it's, with a completely different game design attached to it, maybe because the, the game itself played pretty quick and, you know, it just, it, yeah, it wasn't a very good laser tag game. Technically it's fine. So maybe, maybe there's a good game. Yeah, maybe there's a good game in there, just not this. So but it's, I don't but know. It's still empty. Maybe the, the, yeah, yeah. Just you know, do make the game a bit better. Make make it not a laser tag game at all. Make the game about something and just do a little bit more programming, and you probably got you no. Know, you might have something that you could make into a game later down the line. What 
this is is a piece of uh, is a nasty piece of shit, really. Um, yeah. The in-game music, by the way, was a bewildering journey, wasn't it? An odd <laughs> mixture of tunes and themes, almost like a medley of weirdness. Um, it was okay in places, but uh, just it doesn't make sense. This game does not make sense. No, so that's it. This game can go yes. away, be gone, be gone. Yeah, we didn't like that. Blaze tag, no, no, no. All right, we've got two more left. Let's get into them. Graham, it's time for you to enter the fifth quadrant. All right, Bubble Bus, Ricochet release, coded by Nick Strange. That's the guy that made Starquake, isn't it? Um, is graphics it? are by Nick Strange. I think so. Mm. And musician here is Paul Midcalf. Um, his brother Lower Calf and his brother Upper Thigh um, <laughs> all didn't have anything to do with this game. Just, just the Midcalf section Bob of knee. the family. <laughs> Bob, Bobby Knees. Bobby Knee. Um, so... <laughs> Weirdly, I don't know if you noticed, by the way, that in the Zap review, the Tangent and Fifth Quadrant were printed the wrong way around in the magazine. They, the I realised, I found that last week when I was, because I did Tangent, didn't I? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just silly. So I've got a bit of a mixture of things here. Um, I couldn't find a big manual for this. I found a little bit of blurb. It says, uh, the ship has been taken over by the Z-Men. Can you free the robot crew and recapture the ship before the time runs out and the ship's energy runs out? A desperate race against time and a stunning arcade adventure featuring 230 locations replenishment points, an alien language to decode, controllable subsystems, intelligent aliens, and many other incredible features, too numerous to mention. I'll come back to the reason why that's a problem in a minute. <laughs> so the blurb that I've then decoded from, this isn't, I'd, again, this isn't from the instructions. This is just sort of taken from, I think, from Moby Games. Um, After 20 years in space, the Orion has finally accomplished its task of galaxy mapping. Only one small nebula remains, but while making the intergalactic jump, the Orion is taken over by an alien race known as the Z-Men. In an attempt to get rid of the Z-Men, the players control four robots, Captain Slog, Plot the Navigator, Engineer Knut, and Able Spaceman Bod, which they can use one at a time. Each robot is situated in different areas of the ship. Some robots can easily navigate their way through the maze of 230 rooms, while others are temporarily trapped. When a robot comes into contact with the Z-Men, its energy is quickly drained, (laughs) very quickly. Um, When all of the energy is depleted, the robot will stop functioning, and the only way it can be restored is if a passing robot transfers its energy with the non-functional one. Nice little idea, that. Um, The Z-Men materializes suddenly in the Orion's passageway, sounds very painful, (laughs) and with deadly persistence, and can easily trap the outnumbered crew into a corner. To help them, the robots can throw bouncing bombs at the Z-Men, gaining points when they have been destroyed. Control panels scattered throughout the ship give a robot access to code screens. When decoded, these will unlock matter transmitters and lifts, meaning that the robot crew can move through the ship and closer to the ultimate goal, locking onto the bridge computer. When all four have done this, the Orion will be safe. So for me, this game, it kind of played like a multi-role sci-fi isometric attic attack. The game is pretty Mm -hmm. fast uh, for this, and the graphics are also, I thought, pretty good. Not amazing, but okay. For budget money anyway, because this is only Mm -hmm. $1.99. There's clearly been some thought in the game design here, um, but the lack of instructions means you don't really know what's going on and what to do. So when it says things like, in in that little blurb I read, an alien language to decode, there really is. But you've absolutely no indication or clue how to do it, amongst many other things. And when it says there there are incredible features too numerous to mention, mentioning the ones that are important, like being how you play the damn game, that's kind of critical. The instructions are so vague for this that I could find that it's almost impossible. And they even make a comment of that in the Zap review to say that you're really not going to know what's going on in this game at all. Yeah. Which is a big problem, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, though there's clearly been some, like I said, some thought in the design, the lack of instructions means 
what are you doing? Um, the main game window has your isometric medium res play area in the bottom where you control any of the four robots with a quick click of one, the buttons one to four. The look and feel, while perhaps a tad on the basic side in terms of colorization, it looks kind of cartoonish. And the UI at the top gives a whole bunch of information. Um, it's a whole gang of gimmicks. It's a, it's a real winner. Um, <laughs> you'll be under constant attack akin to the kind of Starquake attic attack deal. And so your energy will get quickly drained and then your robots are just kind of stuck and you've got to try to go to one of the others. And that was the kind of issue for me because I was never able to get more into it than just wandering around as the robots because I had no clue what I was meant to be doing. I no, was just got to, no. going through different doors and going into different things, but I didn't know what to do. There was no, nothing was telling me where I should be, what should happen. I just didn't get anything that helped me at all. And I, I was lost in the game. I just got lost in amongst the rooms very quickly. So I, was, I spent time just as flicking between the robots, lost. And that's really disappointing because I felt like that I might have been able to get more into this had I just been given some clearer indications of what needed to be done. Um, but I didn't get that. It gave nothing away. So in the end, um, I don't know. Maybe I, I didn't get into it any further than that because I found it frustrating at that point. But maybe Perseverance, if you're into this, might pay off. And of course, get to the mapper because you're going to need to map this game. And I think that, you know, the, the mapping people are probably getting all very excited about something else they can, you know, map out. Yeah. I think on the whole, there's some nice work gone into this. It just lacks the directive needed to make it engaging for you so you know what the hell you're doing. And that is the main problem. You find, like me, probably, that I got lost and then I got fed up and then I switched it off. The sounds are all a bit blippy bloppy. In an episode where you've got Tim Follins Bionic Commando, sort of clanks and clonks and more solid SID sounds and blips and bloops and basic beeps start to sound a bit shit in comparison to that. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they do for a 199 game, but... What on earth are you supposed to do in it? I don't know. I don't know. Did you get anywhere in it? No, no, I did not. Meandering around isometric rooms being bothered by single coloured sprites whilst I lob balls of shit at them is not my way of enjoying myself when I play games because that's what it looked like I was throwing at them. Yeah, it does look a bit like that. Balls of brown. Hold down the fire button, you found these balls of brown crap. I don't know what it was. Why do these games (laughs) insist on... Gravy balls. (laughs) That's what they call me. (laughs) Down the club on a Friday. (laughs) Oh, gravy balls is back. gravy balls is in. (laughs) <laughs> Look out, he's going to go full Bisto. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he'll get his Oxo cubes out if you're not careful. Careful. Uh, yeah, why do these games insist on spawning infinite enemies after you and then not giving you infinite bullets or shit pellets yep. to deal with them? I don't know. There may be a great game in here, but the fiddly controls, it's really fiddly to try and get through doors. Yes, Really it is. fiddly. Uh, annoying sounds. Uh, I don't know. And, and I thought that, you know, just... Some of the backgrounds are nice, but ugly single color enemies. No, no. Yeah, some don't of them like it. That attic attacky vibe. It did my It just put me off this really sharpish. I don't know. I didn't like this. And I think the name is far too fancy for spamming sprites with balls of shit. Um, so, yeah, this could have been an ultimate game, couldn't it, from some time ago? I'm thinking about it. Yeah, it could have. It, it, it's just, it's impenetrable. Didn't we say the same about the old Ultimate games, though, at some point? Did we say that, that they, was, they gave so little clues away that you actually found them borderline impenetrable? And yeah. This is kind of le- leaning back on that logic. Yeah, this reminded me of that other sort of isometric one. Was it, dis, dis, uh, what was that one you were diffusing bombs? Chimera? No, it's that kind of one where you're you're moving around the rooms. There's that little sort of oh, droid yes. thing, and you were and you were deactivators. Yeah, was it deactivators? It yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It yeah. looked like that. This was. This looked very similar. It's the same. That same isometric kind of high res yes, viewpoint. Yes, yes, it does. But and like you said, it is. It is literally a. 3D. I mean, it's because it's 3D. It's still all happening on a 2D plane, so it's not actually 3D. So it's just like you said, it's just attic attack. 
wizard's lair type nonsense it's just room to room mover in you know who doing stuff i don't know yeah there's probably work gone into this but it's all lost maybe they were dead annoyed because the instructions you know maybe they gave them loads of instructions but it's a budget title so they're not going to print out loads of instructions so i don't know it must be something to do with it because there's nothing in that instruction set that i could find that gave it anything away no no there isn't oh well there you go it got 32 percent didn't it can't argue with it if yes. I'm honest nope, there you go. I agree. all right we've got one more left let's get that done Another budget arcade adventure. This is Stormbringer, two ninety nine. It's got seventy percent. Now this is weird. This is odd yep. because this is the third installment in the Magic Knight series, but we haven't had, we've not had Nighttime yet. No, no, it's the sequel to the game that doesn't exist. Yeah, well, we do have it. It's in. It's in. It's actually the last game we look at in our you know upcoming did it come episode sixty four. Did it? Yeah, it's in episode one hundred. Yeah, it's there, but. Yeah, so there's plenty of adventuring in this. Three quid. If you don't remember the plot, here we go. This is from within the game. Welcome to Stormbringer, the concluding episode in the acclaimed Magic Knight saga. The story so far. In previous episodes, Spellbound and Nighttime. So, okay. Magic Knight. Nighttime's the one we don't have yet, then. Yeah, Magic Knight rescues his friend and tutor, Gimbal the Wizard, from a self-inflicted whiteout spell and then finds himself catapulted into the 25th century aboard the starship USS Pisces. Having acquired a second-hand time machine from the Time Guardians, Magic Knight finally reaches his own time and planet, but with a slight problem. I presume that's nighttime. Whilst travelling back, a serious malfunction occurred with the second-hand time machine, and now, horror of horrors, there are two Magic Knights. The other Magic Knight is a real nasty piece of work. He calls himself the Off-White Knight, but locally is known as the Stormbringer because of his powerful and dangerous Storm Cloud, which he's planning to use to destroy Magic Knight. In your role as Magic Knight, you realise that you cannot kill Stormbringer because if you do, you will destroy yourself in the process. The only way for you to become your old self again is to merge with him. Good luck, Magic Knight. So, as I've noted here, did we play Nighttime? I had to go look in. I was like, oh, we haven't played it yet. Like, oh, God. So this is, we're playing these no. one, three, two. Is it beside the spectrum, though, I think? It's quite possibly... But obviously, it might be out. It could have been out on the C64, just Zap haven't reviewed it. Remember, we are beholden to Zap's review schedule, so... Yes, yes, that's very true. But I think it did come out on the Spectrum, so it maybe it is, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember looking at it anyway. I remember Spellbound, but not that one. Anyway, it's on the same team as you know, Finders Keepers. I know they say the Magic Knights are, but Magic, Magic, Finders Keepers was the first one, wasn't it? Spellbound, Nighttime. And it's a uh, creation of this by David Jones and Paul Freeman. And music this time is by David Whitaker. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest here. What you know? This is a weird episode because both both parts of this episode are ending with what do we say about this that we didn't say about the last one? So Infiltrator Two, what do we say about it that we didn't say about Infiltrator? And what do we say about this yep. that we didn't say about Spellbound? Because I'm pretty sure you could, apart from the Hubbard music, I'm pretty sure you could probably just go listen back to this and we'll have the same problems. He uses the same engine. Uh, it does seem a little bit faster. I think there's been some optimization behind the scenes, but again, this is two games later, not one game later. So, isn't it? so it uses the same windy mation technique of choosing actions. So a stab of the fire button pops open a window, and from here we can pick up objects, drop them, take them. Isn't that the same as pick up? I don't know. I would say it was. I would say it is. You can give you can give objects to some people. You can examine. You can read something. You can cast a spell, and you can wear something. Uh, you can do wear something straight away. If you want to listen to the music, wear the personal stereo that's in your inventory at the start, as that's how you activate it. And to be honest, that's a it's a it's a pretty decent tune actually. It's not a bad Whitaker piece. It's no spellbound, but it's okay. I bet the silence you would otherwise wander around in. So yeah, as Magic Knight, 
You have to wander from screen to screen of Spectrum-style visuals, complete with color clash, and pick up objects. Use them in the right place, solve puzzles, talk to characters, and try and figure out how exactly you are going to merge with your off-white other self, Stormbringer. Like I said, it does feel a bit faster than Spellbound, so selecting some options... Uh, is a bit snappier. It's also uh, it's also cumbersome to go through three button presses just to pick something up. Like feels annoying. It's like click, pick it up, pick it up, uh, show, uh, and, and then four if you can't get in out of the menu system. And even more, even more button presses for other options. So what they've done is clever in bringing that adventure aesthetic to an arcade style game. And we said this about Spellbound, but we've seen this before. And so this is all. So this all comes down to whether you like loads of screens of finding objects to try and figure out where they can be used. We've seen so many games like this. This is a real throwback. We said this, you know, like garfield and stuff we've seen a couple of these recently but they really kind of died out of went out of vogue a little bit but i i can't say i was glad to see it come back you know we, we were never the biggest um you know evangelist of this kind of uh, type of gameplay each green has a name for it but it all gets very samey and you can tell this is just another spectrum game ported straight over with no attempt to try and make it look nicer or make use of the extra features that the, you know, the 64 has you could have made this look like anteriad you could have done something with the visuals but there isn't there's nothing it just looks like a spectrum game there's not much to say about it it's it's more of spellbound if you liked spellbound you'll probably you know be all dizzy for this as well it's a real example if you like this kind of thing you'll probably like this um but i don't know this is the third one even if you do this maybe this is getting a bit long in the tooth by now and i don't know i was i wasn't enamored to, to revisit this or this kind of gameplay we said everything about it in spellbound and spellbound and it's also really obtuse where you can use items where you when you can who you can talk to what's going on what you're doing it's you know it's like we said about the previous game fifth quadrant you've no idea real what to do it's a proper like just wander find stuff i was killed by a bear wolf at some point just because can i walk into that oh no you died okay well it just looks like the background <laughs> because there's no yeah, definition or yeah, delineation yeah. between the, that object and the background so i just walked into it and i was dead okay right it was a big monster so maybe i should have known but you know so what so i started again wondered about a bit talked to robin hood or somebody or other who was about and he didn't have a lot to say and it's just i don't i don't know i find these games trying and boring but you know, maybe that's just me i get some people like them but it ain't for me what about you yeah it's a sequel to a game that isn't reviewed yet weird isn't it because i think nighttime's in the september issue was up in it for 1988 yeah it's like i said so, yeah right, it's just weird so more magic night shenanigans that i couldn't give a toss about really pointless and click Messing about on the old flip screen game again, using that horrible point and click selector thing, which is just stupidly frustrating, I think. But if you like it, if you like the other ones, you're going to like more of it, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I felt that it felt a little dated. The graphics looked a bit clunky. The interface was a bit clunky now. Things had moved. I thought things had moved on a little bit, but you know what? It's a game engine, isn't it? So it's just more adventure in that game engine space. Mm. And you can still die from exhaustion stupid which is exactly what i did when i was confronted with this similoid of every other magic night game i couldn't be asked with <laughs> spellbound all over again for me and if you like that you'll dig it i didn't so i won't but it is still budget price and i suppose that's something that is something you know for people that like these big expansive pointless and click games and all these wonder i don't know what is this not a pointless and click this is more of a you know it's a action adventure puzzle game isn't it whatever you call them if you like spellbound you're gonna like more of it aren't you i just i didn't i always thought i did and it turns out I really don't. So, um, <laughs> no, not for me, this. But it, I do admire that they stuck to the budget price for them. At least they did that. Mm. So, But you got 70%, which is quite high, I feel, for something that's basically the same as the previous game. Um, but, okay, it's three quid. So I'll let it go. Yeah. Um, not for me, Stormbringer. Not for me at all. It's just Spellbound times two. It's, more, it's like Infiltrator, the second day. This is Spellbound, the day after. 
it's the same yeah. same deal for me. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, no, not for me. Not for me either, really. Here we go. A disappointing chunk of games this week, I feel. Couple Just of decent ones. Yeah. Well, yeah. Decent couple, ones to start each part off, and then yeah, and then that was it. Yeah. Really, this game. Oh well, here we go. That's it. Yes. That's, that's it. So what have we looked at? We have looked at Brainstorm, which we liked, which was in- interesting. You know, clever, clever. Carnov, which is still safe to say we didn't like. No, it's an abomination. <laughs> And it's twinned with pro golf. She's golf Harris. We don't want to ever talk no about golf. That. Yeah, Infiltrator Two, the same game. Yeah, the, the same next game day. the next day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's Groundhog Day. They should have called it Ground Infiltrator Two Groundhog Day. Yeah, Groundhog Day. Yeah, Bionic Commandos, which was all right, but maybe yeah. a bit overly overly highly rated. Laser Tag, which was pointless. Yeah. Uh, Fifth Quadrant, which sense. was impenetrable. Yep, um, and Stormbringer, which was <laughs> spellbound. <laughs> Groundhog Day. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah, exactly that. <laughs> uh, I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, here we go. Right, so that's it. That's July done. There's no crap verts, I'm afraid. I couldn't find any. Adverts are getting a bit better these days, and I, I'm struggling to find any, so never mind. But we can look at the charts. Right. We've got the charts here. So counting down from number 10, uh, a re-entry at number 10 is Soccer Boss by Alternative. This isn't Football Manager. It's a separate mm, okay. name. A re-entry at number 9 is Ace by Cascade. Okay. Uh, down to number eight is Packland. New entry at number seven is Impossible Mission 2. Okay. Uh, up to number six is Way of the Exploding Fist. Curious. Uh, down to number five is Ghostbusters. Uh, a new entry mm. at number four is Yogi Bear. Okay. Have we seen that? Uh, we played a Yogi we Bear played game. A Yogi Bear that Yogi Bear game, though. I don't know. I think it is. It wasn't know. very good. No. Uh, staying at number three is We Are the Champions. That's the completion. Up to number two is Target Renegade, but still holding off all comers for some reason reason is steve davis snooker <laughs> how is that happening because steve davis is going around all the shops where he lives and buying every copy <laughs> well do you know at this he was at his peak when he had popularity though steve davis at this point he was like he, i think he just won the world championship again hadn't he or something uh, like that. quite possibly he actually, was very yeah. popular in the 80s wasn't he he was, it a, was yeah so i wonder if that's he's riding on the crest that people were going you know what i really want to play snooker let's get that computer version and then they'll go this is nothing like snooker <laughs> i hate you steve davis <laughs> I'll get you, Steve Davis. There you go. Uh, what else was in the charts? Uh, at number 11 was Fruit Machine Simulator. Re-entry yeah. at number 12. Loads of re-entries. Aliens mm. the Master- from Mastertronic. Yeah. I don't know. It must be one of the re-releases. Staying at 13, Grand Prix Simulator. A new entry, Shanghai mm. Karate at number 14. Oh, no. Don't recognize that. That doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good. 15, uh, a re-entry Match Day 2. 16, a re-entry Grog's Revenge. 17, a re-entry FA Cup Football. Outruns oh, at 18. Dan Dare at 19. And Trapdoor down to number 20. How, how many of the games that we've reviewed in the last four episodes are in that chart? Target Renegade. Impossible Mission 2. Impossible Mission 2. Packland. I think, is that it? Maybe Fruit Machine. I can't remember I that that's was. it. Yeah. Not a lot. Because all the others are all re-releases, are old releases, aren't well, they? Well, if you look at this, Mastertronic, we've got one, two, three, Powerhouse, I think are a, a budget, players Goodness are, Codemasters. It's that. all Mastertronic. It's all, um, yeah, it's all, it's budget. all budget. One, two, three, four, five, exactly. six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Interesting. Eleven. Eleven of those titles are budget. Goodness me. Yeah, weird, huh? Crazy. I know. Mm. Uh, next month, what have we got coming up next month? Uh, oh, well, we're back to a three episode. Up. There's 27 games in August. Okay. 
Okay. So okay. we've got Aquanaut. Mm. No idea. Barbarian 2. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, Beyond the Ice Palace. We finally get round okay. to reviewing Bruce Lee. Of course, because it's come back out again, hasn't it's it? It's come so back out, yeah. Uh, there's a game called Chubby Gristle. Oh, that, sound that, that sounds unpleasant. Gristle on its own is bad, but Chubby Gristle is... Yeah. There's a... There's a <laughs> we've had a game based on crisps. We've had a game based on crockery. And now we've got crazy paving. I'm not holding that much hope for that. <laughs> got a game based on pavements, walkways. Yeah, got a lot of hope. Maybe, maybe, got a... maybe it isn't. <laughs> maybe uh, dark castle, uh, dark side. That's interesting. Looks okay, that's driller, the driller in it. Um, freescape in it. Yeah. Yeah. Desolator. Um, that's a good title. Yeah. Destruct. Okay. Dream Warrior. Oh, I'm looking forward mm. to this one. Every second counts. That's the. Uh, Is that a game show? That's the Bob Monkhouse oh, uh, game show one. Yeah. The Flintstones. Okay. It's the second version of that. That's not the one we played before. It's a different one. Yeah. Uh, the game's Winter Edition. Uh, okay. The second gold medal, Hawkeye, because Barbarian 2 was as well. Hawkeye. Oh, Hawkeye was good. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, uh, this one, Hercules. This is actually Hercules Sword of the Damned. Oh, gosh. I had, a look at, I had a check through this today just to check it was the right one. And as soon as the font came up, I was like, I recognize that font. So I checked on Lemon 64, oh, and it's the same people who did Samurai Warrior. Oh, okay. you know, the op the option simulator yeah. with Wo Ping and yeah, Ping yeah, Cho yeah. and King Long or whatever. Oh, no. It's just it's there. It's the next one. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> I've given that to you. Um <laughs> uh, Hopping Mad, no idea. Legend okay. of the Sword. I don't know. Right. Marauder. Metropolis. Okay. I think that Legend of the okay. Sword is an adventure because Morden's quest is an adventure as well. Oops. Oh, oops. Okay, oops. there it is, finally. Poltergeist. That's, uh, okay. I know that is. That's uh, Rayburn, Rayburn, Rayburn. Okay. Uh, Questron 2, I think that's another adventure. Shackled. It's about um, chairs. I was going to say, is it about high seat chairs? Yeah. I hear they're lovely. It's lovely. It's <laughs> I hear they lovely. are. <laughs> it's a great when you get on a bit. from Shackleton's, you know. <laughs> uh, Starcross, <laughs> which okay. is, again might be an adventure. Star Wars Droids. Mm. I don't remember the cartoon being very good for that, so... Yeah, it's uh, Street Fighter. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, and now, interestingly, and I'll say this now, there's a US version. Oh, uh, okay. Well, it might be inter more interesting to see it, what that's like. It is. It's, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Super Trolley. No idea. To hell okay. and back. That's not going to be as good okay. as it sounds, is it? Tower of Despair. No. I think that's another adventure. And finally... that. And finally, Vixen. Yeah, the dubiously titled Vixen. Of course, they couldn't call it that in Germany, could they? As we all know, could they not? It's called She Wolf. In, no, it's called because Vixen is a swear word in German. It's called I think it's called She Wolf in Germany. Why is Vixen a swear word? Because Vixen means uh, wanker in German. Oh, does it? Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just thought it was yeah, a sort of female fox. No, it is here, but not in Germany. You go oh. around looking for female foxes, you better be calling them by the right name in Germany. <laughs> or you're going to get dumbstrouded. <laughs> <laughs> Your Schwanzducker's going to get kicked. <laughs> I'm going to get sugar frumed. <laughs> <laughs> um and on that slightly dubious note right yeah that's it um so that's it that's july done that's not a great month what, what did, no. great analysis is good yes it uh, was. brainstorm was good and bionic commandos yeah that's a lot of the others weren't so good were they just no just tragic heaps with lots of overcomplicated nonsense and lots of lack of lack of effort and just bad stuff all around yeah indeed i've already said about our patreon you can go do that so i'm not going to bore you with that again if you you know if you don't want to do that that's cool but if you could take the time you know rate reviewers itunes that kind of thing that's always good it gets us out and about there drop us a line if you want we're heading towards we're fast approaching episode 100 
Episode 100. Woo! Yeah, if you've got anything you want to say about any games we've covered at all, really, if, you know, in the in the 100 episodes we'll have done by then, go, you know, go drop, you know, drop us a line about them. Tell us if we were wrong, mm. if we were right, whatever. Just don't don't come at us and just say, why do you hate Vector Games? It's like, oh, we do. No, boring now. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll issue a challenge for anyone that wants to review a game, if you can do it in 100 words, that'd be impressive. Yeah. Yeah, let's have it. Do the hundred word challenge. Let's see if you can do a hundred word review of any any you know just in a game because hundred words ain't a lot. See what you can say about any of the games from July that we've just talked about. Any of the games from any of the previous. Yeah, you can email it to us. Think about Facebook, Twitter, anything you want. We'd we'd be quite happy to see that and get as much as we can in for episode hundred. That's July. That means we've only got what five months left of nineteen eighty eight. A lot of lot of episodes though still to come. A lot of episodes. Um, Yes, a lot of episodes. A lot of games. Some good ones. And also, of course, um, the crapagory for the crapo de tutti crapo is rapidly reaching critical mass. <laughs> this is uh, Chernobyl levels of, uh, of you know, crazy at the moment. Yeah, before it was not great, not terrible. Now it's it's getting beyond that. Um, it's, it's getting it's, unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. Someone needs to pump the uh, you know the, the graphite rods in quickly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, half of Europe's going to disappear. It's, 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 honestly, it's, it's, it's getting bad. There's a lot in there. They're crammed in like the ghosts in that Ghostbusters thing. <laughs> it's, or, like, or like Monty Burns' illnesses. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we can't... No, you're so ill. We don't even... Care. We can't even have a word for it. But they're all so finely balanced that not one illness can take control. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly that. They're all equally fighting for the the crown of the crap. Yeah, um, so, <laughs> I don't know what's so, going to win. But that also, one. for episode one hundred, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts, even on that. Yeah, you know, are absolutely. There, are there games that you consider the crap of the tilty crap? Are there things we've missed? Should we put things in? Should we take stuff out? Yeah. You you help us out with that. You can yeah. always you know just email us, write in, do all of that stuff. Indeed, just let us know. On that note, mm. I think you know. Uh, I think we should call it a uh, call it quits on that one. Yeah, I think let's bring this beat into an end. <laughs> Indeed. So, <laughs> as ever, um, I have been Adrian Groundhog Day Mills. And I have been uh, Graham Karnoff Raddings. <laughs> and, and you have been listening to a Spectrum emulated version of Zap to the Past. <laughs> and we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.